You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 408. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from the English country estate of Captain Nick Anderson in Hampshire. Today's show is recorded on the 14th of January, 2020. In today's episode, a passenger describes flying through a fire-generated cloud over Australia, and Iran admits they're shooting down a Ukrainian airliner. More news, your feedback, and in today's Plane Tales, the A300. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 408 is ready for pushback. Thanks, Radio Roger. He is an award, Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 11, no, 10, 10 wins. <laughs> Edit and post. Okay, welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. Uh, we've been podcasting aviation for more than 10 years, uh, covering the latest aviation news and answering your feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a former U.S. Air Force pilot, currently a captain for a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, which we like to call Acme. Airlines and joining me today from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, former captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick. Well, hi there, Jeff, and welcome back to the mother country. Yes, it's wonderful. We laid on this weather especially for you. It's uh, currently uh, blowing an absolute gale out there. And the rain's coming down, uh, so this is perfect uh, English weather. Just as I'd pictured it. And also joining us from the northwest Atlanta suburbs, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pleasure boat skipper, underwater photographer, and a man with a very sore Achilles tendon. He's a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier also, Captain Dana. Hi, guys. I miss you so much. I feel so lonely here without you. But yes, you're correct. A little bit of a sore Achilles here still today. Well, we're sorry to hear that, Dana. And we'll hear more about that and the lovely weather here and more uh, when we get to the uh, getting to know you segment of the show. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and start off with this week's news. Stand by for news. Passengers described flying through a fire-generated cloud on Melbourne, Melbourne to Canberra flight. And 
Let's see. This is from www.abc.net.au. And it starts off by saying, uh, the Qantas flight's route took it over the bushfires raging or ravaging Victoria and New South Wales, and the plane unexpectedly entered a weather system being generated by one of the fires. Uh, it just got grayer and grayer, passenger Matt McIntyre said of the approach to the pyrocumulus cloud. Never heard of that before. That's cool. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, everything just went pitch black, and that's when the plane sort of dropped. There was one guy sort of swearing. I heard people down the front vomiting. Another passenger said it was the scariest flight she had ever taken. Um, there are some photos here in the article that are actually pretty scary looking. It, it was daytime, but not nighttime. Uh, they're flying around some uh, clouds that appear to be cumulus clouds, uh, pretty nasty looking ones in, in my mind. And then all of a sudden there's a photo of uh, basically just complete blackness, darkness outside. Um, another quote from a passenger, it was orange outside of the window, and then suddenly it was black, and then the turbulence hit. I was jumping off my seat. Well, that was a silly thing to do. She should have stayed sitting in it. I know. She should have had her seatbelt on and not been jumping off her seat. Yeah. I do realize that down there, they're like kangaroos, but keep your seatbelts on. That's right. <laughs> Pyrocumulus clouds emerge when hot air from fires rise into the sky and cool, causing condensation and the formation of clouds. Um, hmm. Qantas fleet captain, uh, safety captain, Debbie Slade, said pilots reacted quickly to hitting the unexpected turbulence. The pilots ascended to a higher altitude before taking a different approach into Canberra. Uh, Canberra. 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 Thank you. Uh, when the aircraft had a normal landing, she said. And uh, Mr. McIntyre, one of the passengers, said the plane's passage through the cloud felt as though it went on for minutes, but it was likely shorter than that. Because it was so dark outside, it was just hard to get a gauge on exactly what was happening. It wasn't until we got back on track that we got a voiceover from the captain. They said it just did not come up on the radar at all. Well, you know... Would it come up on a radar? Because it's really not a lot of moisture. In a no, I don't think pyro. so. The, the radar relies on the droplet size. In fact, uh, the radar wavelengths are calibrated to bounce off water droplets in clouds. And if the cloud is of this nature, uh, there's a good chance that it won't have enough water content to show up. In which case, you've just got to use Mark 1 eyeballs. Uh, and since it was a day flight... I would have been looking at it. It looks, it looks pretty um, uh, active, doesn't it? Yeah. it? It really is growing, and there's, there's um, you know, true cumulus form in the way that it bubbles and, and uh, emerges from uh, uh, new growths of, of cloud created by the uplift. So it looks very active, and I wouldn't have liked to go in that, really. It looked very, it, it, yeah. Go ahead, Dana. It looks like none other, like any other cloud I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. the, at least the one picture they put out here. It really looks almost like uh, real cottony, but really bunched up cotton. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. it's just it. I don't see that I would go through that either. No, just, in in defense of the key, the crew, they may not have realized what was causing the cloud, although they probably had an idea, but. Now everyone knows a lot more about it. Uh, and you tend to gauge the intensity 
of the weather inside the cloud by the radar. You know, by the different colors the radar shows. Uh, so you go, oh, I can probably go through this cloud, but I won't go through that cloud or that portion of it. And if there was nothing on the radio, the radar at all to give them an indication, um, then, you know, they might be going, well, it looks pretty benign. True. True. But now they've learned a lesson and all the rest of us have as well. Yeah, yeah, I hope the whole uh, aviation community, uh, particularly those who operate regularly in areas where you get forest fires, uh, will look at this and go, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to put that away in my database, and one of these days I might need to pull it out and use it again. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what she said. Okay. Wasn't quick enough, sorry. All Should right. I take over for HR concern she's not here? Behave yourself, boys. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, uh, item B. Ray Davis sent us this uh, via Facebook. Uh, two MD-87 firefighting air tankers will deploy to Australia. So talking uh, about the bushfires in uh, Australia. Uh, this will bring Australia's fleet of large tanker air tankers up to 11 for the 2019-2020 bushfire season. Um, excuse me. The companies supplying the four additional large air tankers that will be mobilizing to help the firefighters in Australia have been identified. On January 4, we wrote about the two DC-10s that 10-tanker air carrier will be sending down. Today, we learned that two uh, McDonnell Douglas MD-87s will also be deploying two of their air tankers. Matt Isley of Ericsson Aerotanker said tankers 102 and 103 will be under contract with the Australian federal government. T-102 will be leaving January 13, and T-103 is scheduled for January 16. One of the DC-10s, T-912, is expected to arrive in Australia on January 15, to be followed by Tanker 914 around January 25, after their heavy maintenance is wrapped up. They will join another DC-10, Tanker 911, that arrived in November. <laughs> or 911, your choice. Neither is good. Um... All right. Uh, the, so you, missed, cool. you missed the most important thing that they, he said in this. What did he say? Retirement job for Captain Jeff. Oh, well, that's what Liz said. Oh, well. <laughs> when, oh is that when what Liz said? Yeah, when you see you something that. highlighted like that in, in uh, all caps, that's our producer. <laughs> well, it's still a very good point. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. Who knows? I don't know how they pay. Probably not as good as this podcast pays. Yeah, it's, that's, that's we're doing well, aren't we, Jeff? Got another pay rise. That's really good. <laughs> All right. So if you want to learn more about uh, the air tankers in Australia, look in the show notes. Or I guess we should come up with something like in the show notes. I, ITSN. Uh, yeah, very good. We should have a little sound bite for that. Yes. Um. Iran plane crash, item C. This is one that has just happened recently, and everybody in the world knows about this, I would suppose, unless you're living under a rock. Um, not Iraq, but a rock. Um, bam, wow. Oh, that's dreadful. Wow. Okay. Iran says it unintentionally shot down Ukrainian airliner. The Islamic Republic of Iran deeply regrets, regrets this disastrous mistake. President Hassan Rouhani said as Iran reversed its claims that mechanical failure was to blame. Uh, this is from the New York Times. 
Iran's military announced early Saturday that it had accidentally shot down a Ukrainian passenger jet, blaming human error because of what it called the plane's sharp, unexpected turn toward a sensitive military base. After days of tension since the jet crashed near Tehran on Wednesday, the same day that Iranian missiles struck American bases in Iraq, the admission was a stunning reversal. Iran initially maintained that mechanical issues had brought the Boeing airliner down, killing all 176 people aboard. Uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran deeply regrets this disastrous mistake. Of course, we've already quoted that, and they had to say it again. I don't know why, but they had to say it again. Um, they offered condolences to the victims' families and said inv investigations were underway. Uh, the military said the person responsible would face legal consequences. So, yeah, at first it was kind of suspicious because at first they, I mean, like really quickly, I said, oh, they had an engine problem. Well, okay, you have an engine problem. That doesn't mean you, the airplane crashes. Or, exactly or wreckage right. strewn all over the place on fire. Right. And and I don't know if you got uh, saw the video uh, that somebody took. And, you know, this is early in the morning, so it's still dark. And the, they're just fire just streaming from this airplane long before it hit the ground. And, yeah, I don't know anything that really causes something like that except a missile. No, that's exactly right. I mean, they I think they had their suspicions, but they wanted to get it out there. And I'm actually a little surprised that they went back and, and took uh, responsibility despite all the evidence because, uh, you know, they could have just tried to bluff it out. But uh, I guess we have to uh, credit them with putting their hands up once they realize they, their, their um, original guess was really impossible to uh, justify. I don't know if they would have been able to buff that out. <laughs> that was just too much damage. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. bluff it out. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was yeah, a different. Yeah. Okay. And of course, it's, it, it's gone on because now there are um, demonstrations. Uh, uh, anti-government demonstrations because of this uh, mistake. And uh, they even arrested the uh, British uh, ambassador to uh, uh, Iran. Uh, Is he still under arrest? No, I think he was released quite okay. quickly after. But uh, we're still complaining about it. Yeah, he was attending some, like, uh, the mourners uh, of the, uh, what, 16, I believe, students from uh, the university in Tehran uh, that were on the airplane that were killed. And he was just uh, attending um, as a, a show of support. That's right, because we lost uh, three, I think, three British uh, uh, citizens died in the crash. And uh, it was, um, you know, a memorial of sorts to them. But, of course, uh, it turned into something that, that uh, was more of a demonstration. So he left. But uh, they, the government took the unusual uh, choice to arrest him. But that's by the by. Uh, they, I, guess, I don't know if they're trying to deflect blame, but uh, certainly this is uh, another dreadful um, occurrence. We've had a few, few of these in history. Uh, and certainly in these troubled areas, uh, I think it's quite right that we're making uh, big efforts to divert around that uh, area now to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. Yes. Well said. All right. Item D. Boeing employees mocked FAA and the clowns who designed 737 MAX. That's not my that's not coming from me. That's coming from this article. Uh, New York Times again. Um, so let's see. The company, Boeing, 
expressed regret at the embarrassing communications it sent to investigators on Thursday, which included a comment that, quote, this airplane is designed by clowns who are in turn supervised by monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody nobody has seen this employee since uh, this was released. (laughs) Uh, Boeing employees mocked federal rules, talked about deceiving regulators, and joked about potential flaws in the 737 MAX as it was being developed, according to over 100 pages of internal messages delivered Thursday to congressional investigators. Quote, I still haven't been forgiven by God for the covering up I did last year, one of the employees said in messages from 2018, apparently in reference to interactions with the FAA. The most damaging messages included conversations among Boeing pilots and other employees about software issues and other problems with flight simulators for the MAX, a plane later involved in two accidents in late 2018 and early 2019 that killed 346 people and threw the company into chaos. The employees appear to discuss instances in which the company concealed such problems from the FAA during the regulator certification of the simulators, which were used in the development of the MAX, as well as in training for pilots who had not previously flown a 737. One of them asked, would you put your family on a MAX simulator trained aircraft? I wouldn't. One employee said to a colleague in another exchange from 2018. No, the colleague responded. Wow, this is really damning stuff. There, uh, and of course, we already quoted the one: uh, the airplane is designed by clowns who are in turn supervised by monkeys. An employee wrote in an exchange from 2017. Uh, yeah, so everything is in turmoil over at the Boeing company, and we know that they released the uh, CEO, and sadly, he only got what 70, 80 million dollars worth of yeah, poor chap pay and. I feel sorry Stuff. for him. Uh, yeah, that's... He might be in the food line collecting food stamps here soon. Oh, poor guy. Poor guy. Yeah. Suffering terribly. Yeah. So not only for me is this uh, a bit of an indictment um, of the way the aircraft has been de- developed, but it's going to make um, it so much harder for the FAA to um, pass the aircraft and to you know, uh, speedily bring it back online. Because if I was working for the FAA and I knew that the company and their employees had been saying this about me uh, and my organization, I would not be in a hurry to expedite things. No, I, neither would I. Yeah, I don't think it's no. going to be <laughs> recertified any anytime soon. Um, yeah, what a mess. What a mess. All right, item E. Um, amazing pictures after a hard landing. This is from the Aviation Herald, and it was sent in by uh, Michael Deprez. Um, so here we go. Uh, Nordwind A321 at Antalya. Antalya? I don't know. I've never uh, tried to say that before. Okay. On January 10, 2020, hard landing. Uh, Nordwind Airlines Airbus A321-200, registration Victor Quebec, Bravo Romeo Sierra, performing positioning flight 1801 from Moscow, uh, Sherem Tevyevo, to somewhere in Turkey, was an approach to that runway, 36 Center, at about 7.40 local time in the morning, touched down hard on the runway, about plus 2.65 G above limits or is that 265 G above limits or 265 G which is above limits I don't know uh, 
the crew. Either way, that's pretty hard. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, not designed for that, I don't believe. The crew initiated a go-around. The crew observed attitude and navigation indication problems, uh, and smoke developed in the cockpit. The crew donned their oxygen masks, declared mayday, and performed a low approach to runway 36 center to have the underside of the aircraft, including landing gear, suspected for any structural issues. While climbing out after the low approach, both main hydraulic systems failed. The crew declared mayday a second time and performed a visual approach and landing on runway 36 center. The aircraft was unable to vacate the runway and stopped. Uh, the aircraft was shut down. Um, a post-flight inspection showed both nose gear tires deflated. The nose gear strut had been pushed through the cabin floor. The fuselage all in the area of the nose gear showed significant creases. Um, so for those who don't know, most of the, uh, the, the, the brains and stuff that controls all our avionics and everything else is usually right underneath that cockpit area. So the avionics electrical bay is usually right uh, beneath the floor of the cockpit or maybe even behind it and, uh, and below if you're a larger airplane. Uh, but the area where the nose gear is situated, usually that's right in the area where a lot of this electronics stuff is. And so if the nose gear strut goes through it, I can understand why, why they may have had some, some smoke in the cockpit. Absolutely. And they, they really did make um, a problem for themselves. I mean, the damage by the nose wheel is bad enough, but then having to fly the aircraft uh, around again with electrical uh, smoke, which indicates to me that you've got a little fire going on down there. Um, and you know, uh, to having lost a couple of hydraulic systems, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty dire. I'm, you know, a little surprised that they managed to get around safely. I'm, I'm very glad they didn't try and raise the gear after it. Looks like the weather was pretty nice, though. At least they had that going for them. Cav okay. Yep. Yeah. And it says the aircraft suffered a hard landing. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> there were no injuries in the aircraft. Talk about the understatement of the year. The aircraft sustained damage, however. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You drive the nose gear through the, the floor of the airplane and, it's, and it sustained damage. How about major damage? Yeah. Or catastrophic damage or something other than just sustained damage. However. Yeah. Well, is this a Russian airline, Nordwind? Uh, because uh, that was a quote from Russia's embassy in Turkey. So maybe they were trying to spin it in a in a, a positive light. Um, but I, di I did notice at the very beginning it says it was a positioning flight, so it may have been just the uh, the pilot and cabin crew aboard and no passengers. I don't know. Nordwind Airlines is a Russian leisure airline. Oh, there you go. Thank you, Dana. Headquartered um, in Moscow. There you go. And, of course, the Russian embassy statement clearly says that there were no passengers on board. So I stated the obvious, obviously. Um, anything else to add to that? Uh, no, I think a little bit of uh, remedial training is required. Yes. Okay, F. It, yes, sir. I was going to say, it looks like uh, the winds were a bit gusty when they landed, though. Were they? Okay. Uh, 0 to 0, 16, gusting 26. Yeah. Cavu, okay, okay, but I mean, it's not significant, obviously, for a professional airline pilot, but still a little bit windy. Yeah, true. Okay, uh, continuing on with Autumn F. Um, I'm in a helicopter here that costs 
550 pounds an hour, okay? <laughs> okay, well. Okay, well, buy a cheaper one then. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, a high-flying manager director, oh, I get it, uh, has been fined 1,600 pounds after he subjected a female air traffic controller to a vitriolic mid-air rant whilst attempting to land his private helicopter on an airfield. This from the Manchester Evening News. .co.uk. Uh, wealthy businessman Joel Tobias, 52, had been flying his wife and family to a to the Lancashire. Did I say that right? Yeah, Lancashire. Lancashire seaside, but fell foul of Andrea Tolly when he radioed in, dema- in demanding he be able to land at Blackpool Airport. Miss Tolly had not been aware of the incoming flight yet when she tried to ask Tobias to wait. Okay, had not been aware of incoming flight when she tried to ask him to wait. He began berating her over the airwaves, claiming she had failed to return earlier messages. During an angry exchange on frequency 119.95, who uh, Tobias, who also runs an Aston Martin car and a motorbike, told Miss Tolly he wanted her name and raged, I'll be putting a complaint in. Your job is actually to take calls from aircraft and, and not to have two-way chats with other aircraft asking how their day is going and how fun it is. I'm in a helicopter here that costs 550 pounds an hour, okay? And I've waited 10 minutes for you to answer the call. It's absolutely appalling. Uh, he gave, um, uh, let's see, when another pilot on the same frequency thanked Miss Tolly for her help landing his air- aircraft, Tobias said sarcastically to him, if that's the service you expect from an airport like Blackpool, then I feel sorry for you. Tobias from Whitfield, who, or is it Whitefield? Whitefield, uh, Whitfield. Whitfield. Okay. Who runs a cybersecurity firm did not take the matter further when he landed. He was later reported to the Civil Aviation Authority over his conduct by another pilot. In a statement, uh, Miss Tolly said a colleague had to relieve her of duty following the row she uh, as she so she was so upset and barely slept that evening, she added, "I was a bit shaken up, uh, as I've never experienced anything like this or had been spoken to like this in my entire career." A fellow pilot who listened to Tobias's ranting while he too was waiting to land said, quote, "He was clearly annoyed and very agitated, and it was upsetting to witness. Nobody should get abused like that when they are trying to work in a busy environment." Um, Elitist. Yeah. He's just an elitist. He thinks he's better than everybody else. And if you can afford $550, £550 an hour, you shouldn't be worrying about £550 an hour. Exactly. Well, it was taken to a a Manchester magistrate's court. He was brought down to earth with a bump after he pleaded guilty by letter to an offense under the Air Navigation Order 2016 of flying within an aerodrome traffic zone without having obtained information to enable a safe flight. He was also ordered to pay 870 pounds, which is more than the cost per hour of the helicopter he was in, <laughs> uh, in costs and surcharges. The maximum sentence is a 2,500, no, yeah, 2,500 pound fine. Um, yeah, exactly, Dana. Just, you know, I'm above everybody else. You should be paying attention to me because I... Don't you know who I money. am? Right. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me. This gentleman here doesn't know who he is. Can anybody recognize him? <laughs> and by the way, uh, I think it actually might be Whitefield because oh, okay. it has an E in the middle. Yeah, that's of it. why. Yeah. Uh, initially, I said Whitefield, and then I, I saw the E. I wasn't following, but okay. Well, 
It's it's one of those. Yeah, for sure. He looks pretty grumpy in that picture. I wonder if that's his usual uh, relaxed look. He looks like Grumpy Cat. Yeah, he, he looks does. like he's stuck up. <laughs> this looks like the kind of guy that Dana likes to hang out with. Yeah, not a chance in no. this world. <laughs> All right. Item G. Uh, an incident involving a Delta Airlines Boeing 777. Um yeah, a Delta Airlines Boeing 777 diverted to Boston on January 9th after in-flight engine vibrations. The aircraft was operating a special flight from Las Vegas to Paris when, or just prior to starting the transatlantic portion of the flight. Engine vibrations forced the crew to divert to Boston Logan International Airport. Um, actually, I don't know why they say an engine. Let's, let's read the uh, report from Aviation Herald. I think we're going to get a little bit better information here. Um, it was about, uh, they were at flight level 370, about 100 nautical miles southwest of Wabash, um, yeah, Canada, when loud noise and vibrations occurred. The crew set course to divert to New York JFK at first, later to Boston, Mass, uh, descended the, uh, oh, Newfoundland, thank you, Liz, NL for Newfoundland, or Newfoundland, or Newfoundland, <laughs> one of those, um, they, they uh, initially set course for Kennedy, but then they decided to go to Boston a little bit closer. Descended the aircraft to flight level 350 and 300 and landed safely on Boston's runway 33 left about 90 minutes later with emergency services on standby. After landing, the crew advised they did have an aft cargo runaway with the temperature dropping in the back. The aircraft taxied to the apron with emergency services and trail. A replacement Boeing 777-200 registration 860DA reached Paris with a delay of seven hours. The FAA reported the aircraft diverted after the crew reported vibrations and declared an emergency. The airline reported a mechanical issue prompted the diversion. Passengers reported there was a sudden piercing sound followed by loud noise and vibrations resulting in an emergency landing in Boston. The crew moved a number of passengers out of their seats. After landing, they were told it may have been a burst air conditioning pipe. Not yet really clear. The occurrence aircraft is still on the ground in Boston about 44 hours after landing. So it seems to me it wasn't necessarily an engine vibration, but more likely an air conditioning uh, pressurization system, uh, high pressure pipe that burst. And that would cause a lot of vibrations, I would imagine. Yeah, there's no, no indication they shut an engine down or even put board it back to idle. So I think you're right, Jeff. But, you know, that's one of the first things that I think all of us think of when you hear something about really bad vibrations. You know, what's on the airplane that's going to be really vibrating badly? And that's usually going to be the engine. But uh, in this case, probably not. So, looks like they handled it pretty well. Yeah, it's an unusual one to have to divert for an air conditioning duct problem. May have been causing, well, they said they weren't able to control the temperature in the back of the airplane, so that's not going to be a good thing to do. No, um, and then, you know, perhaps pressurization may have been an, an issue as well. I don't know. Yes, it was. Uh, Liz, our producer, adds that this was not a normal flight. It was a special flight uh, from Vegas to Paris because uh, at the time uh, the consumer, nope, it used to be called Consumer Electronics. Um, what CES consumer electronics symposium or something like that. But now they just say CES 
and they don't tell you what it stands for. Uh, but it's a big uh, industry uh, consumer electronics trade show in in Vegas, and uh, they were they created a couple of special flights to bring people back directly from Vegas to Paris. Okay, um, H. This is a final report and analysis of uh, Smart Links A321 at London on July 22nd of last year. Uh, low on approach. Um, let's see. A Smart Links Airbus A321 200 on behalf of Thomas Cook. Registration Yankee Lima Lima uh, Charlie Quebec. Performing flight 505 from Dalaman, Turkey to London Stansted. England with 211 passengers and eight crew. Oh, that's a lot of people on that airplane. Was an approach to Stansted's runway 22, the threshold, the threshold of which had been displaced due to works in progress. A revised RNAV procedure, the RNAV 22C, had been introduced, which was steeper based on the displaced threshold. The aircraft was observed lower than required over the works area and touched down near the displaced threshold. The Air Accidents Investigation Branch released their bulletin concluding the probable cause of the serious incident was, having read the relevant flight uh, documentation paperwork, the pilot's mindset was that the runway works at uh, Stansted were not active during their approach. Confirmation bias appears to have played a part in the pilot's selection of the wrong approach procedure and may have contributed to ATC not detecting the error. The remainder uh, a reminder to follow PAPI indications was misinterpreted as an instruction to ignore them. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's I read that same sentence and had the same reaction. What? How do you misinterpret that? Well, I'd need to see what they wrote in the documentation to be sure, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going 180 out. That's not good. Right. Um, again, probably something to do with confirmation bias. The incident highlighted the importance of correct and complete radio transmission phraseology. Um, so they were the first aircraft to make an approach to the airfield after the displaced threshold had been established on the evening of Monday, 22 July 2019. The pilots did not realize that they were required to follow the RNAV 22C procedure. I guess that's 22 center, right? Um, uh, procedure and flew. I don't think so. There's not no. a center uh, oh, okay. runway stands there. Okay, so it is. Uh, so it's a special RNAV procedure. Yeah. And they flew the standard RNAV arrival, anchored at threshold 22. Okay, so that's the that's the original threshold, not the displaced threshold. And just so that people understand what a displaced threshold is, it's just there's a normal threshold, and then if the threshold is displaced, it's a certain distance away from the uh, the original threshold. So the runway becomes shorter, and you have to adjust your aim point longer so that you touch down further down the runway. So obviously the works that were being accomplished were around the original threshold or maybe just shy of it, but they wanted to keep uh, an area uh, clear vertically of airplanes coming in. Um, so they flew the standard uh, procedure and uh, the aerodrome tower controller thought that the aircraft looked slightly lower than the traffic on final approach during the previous night's reduced distance operation. But they were not sure. As the aircraft approached four miles, the controller issued landing clearance and added, caution, displaced threshold and reduced landing distance available. Do not fly below PAPI indications. How do you misinterpret that? 
Well, if you think below says follow, that's how. Okay. Because the uh, the next sentence says, um, they interpreted, do not fly below the pappy as do not follow the pappy. And when you think about it, those two words can, could sound similar. Yeah, true. So the aircraft was seen to be lower than expected over the works area. The crew did not see any obstructions on the runway, did not notice anything untoward during their approach and landing. Um, so it goes on to uh, talk about uh, their investigation. Uh, anything else in here, Nick, that, or Dana, that do you think might uh, be significant for us to talk about? They do have a graphic here of what the normal approach path should be for the, for the procedure to take them to the displaced threshold and what they actually flew. And it looks like they just flew the normal RNAV approach. Um, and then, but they did not touch down before the displaced threshold. Uh, it should be added here. But they were much lower than they should have been over the area where the people were working. Yeah, they threw a very shallow approach. Um, I mean, there's a safety zone built in between the uh, the displaced threshold and the area where works was being done. So they, they had a bit of a safety factor in there, but they were flying about 50 feet low, um, lower than they should have been over those uh, workmen, which probably gave them a little bit of a scare, I'd have thought. Yeah. Ah, run away! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. And I guess what we can learn from that is that we just have to pay particular attention when things are not normal and try not to <laughs> have that confirmation bias. I mean, it's easy to say and sometimes difficult to do. That's true. Uh, but I think a certain element has to be down to the language. This uh, is a Latvian airline. Um, so uh, the standard of English may not be... Uh, as high as ours so you know it's perhaps an understandable uh, error they made when they heard the uh, air trafficker yep true true it's true it's true (laughs) item i one of the new products unveiled at ces this year is a new kind of home security system one that includes drones to How did you know? Patrol your property along with sensors designed to mimic garden light and and a central processor to bring it all together. Sunflower Labs debuted their new Sunflower Home Awareness System, which includes the Sunflower's motion and vibration sensors that look like simple garden lights that can populate a map to show you cars, people, and animals on or near your property in real time. The Bee, a fully autonomous drone that deploys and flies on its own with cameras on board to live stream audio or video. And the Hive, a charging station for the Bee, which also houses the brains of the operation for crunching all the data gathered by the component parts. Now, Nick's home here is very automated. There are a lot of things going on, uh, voices, uh, warning about certain things happening around here. Are you thinking about getting one of these systems? <laughs> I don't think my property is quite big enough to justify it. Uh, and I think you'd need a fairly large property. I think the idea is that uh, rather than having um, just a few cameras, uh, you know, uh, stuck around your house, um, if you've got a big property and with a large um, boundary, 
Uh, you might have motion sensors out at that boundary, but you can't see what's going on, whether it's a, an animal has crossed your boundary or whether it's some uh, ne'er-do-wells creeping up on your house. And uh, in that case, it would be handy to have a, a, a camera to go and to deploy down to take a look. So uh, I guess for a well-off chap who uh, has a nice, beautifully big house, it might be useful to have this. And it sounds like it's fairly automated. The uh, drone will take itself off, uh, go down there and take a look, and then relay the video back to you so you can assess what's going on. It keeps you from having to get out of bed yeah. <laughs> to grab the baseball bat or the gun or whatever it is you're going to grab and then walk downstairs over well, the door. Well, you the mentioned that. I, I'm a bit disappointed it doesn't have a gun so that you can go, oh, I don't like the look of that bloke. I'm going to – and that would save you getting out of bed. That's an option that you can add. Oh, you no, can just, just get the drone to kill him. <laughs> so shoot him. It's pretty affordable though. It it, it starts at nine starts at nine thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars and can range up depending on your specific property's custom needs. Probably the gun. <laughs> the company is accepting pre orders now with a deposit of nine hundred and ninety nine US dollars required and intends to start delivering the first orders to customers beginning sometime in the middle of the year. Hey Jeff, I think you should buy this for your luscious in extensively large estate yes i should there you go but actually for it. i want people to visit me <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you can always uh, i think one of the options is you can equip it with a flashbang grenade Ooh, really cool seriously no, not really not really oh, okay i bet maybe that is an option i don't know <laughs> that would be cool of course uh, your neighbors may draw weary of that Hmm. Well, it just looks like lightning. Yeah, true. And sounds like thunder. There you go. All right, last item in our news folder. Um, a event occurred, an event occurred at uh, John F. Kennedy International on the 10th of January. I guess that's uh, Friday. Um, it w there was a runway incursion there. And let's start off by listening to, courtesy of uh, VAS Aviation uh, the uh, and ATC Live dot or atclive.net, I believe, um, audio from the incident. Delta 300, what is the date number? Uh, 22. Delta 250, and there's 5255, Maybe you said that, but I also repeated that clear to cross, and I'm sorry about that. We missed that. You absolutely did not. Uh, what was the gate number? 22. I was 22. You asked us that, and I also assumed that you said clear to cross, and I repeat that. I thought that's what you said. I said hold for a two right, and I asked you for your gate number, but. Uh, well, that's my fault. I misheard what you said and repeated back the wrong thing. Jeffrey 1374, taxi by Drew and Golf, hold for a Golf, full charge, 22 right, just lose 1674. Hey, just confirm for Golf 253, you want us right on Golf, right on Bravo? 
Delta 253, affirmative, right on to taxiway Gulf, right Bravo and hope should a Foxhead stay with me. The reason why I canceled that takeoff clearance is because of traffic on the runway. Okay, copy that. Uh, Delta 300, what would you like us to do? Delta 300, uh, continue output to the ramp for now, monitor ground 121.9. Output to the ramp 121.9. Roger. We got away with it. Delta 300, you show up? Yes. Delta 300, uh, possible pilot deviation. We're going to need you to call the tower here and advise you to copy the phone number. Uh, not uh -oh. good. So Ouch. I don't know, you know, to give them the, the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps, you know, this is, uh, thank you, Liz, live ATC. I, every time I kept saying ATC live, I'm thinking, that doesn't sound right. LiveATC.net, um, the audio from it, perhaps the uh, transmission that the pilot of, uh, or the co-pilot, whoever's talking on the radio, is most likely the first officer, uh, made regarding holding short and then reading back a crossing instruction. Maybe the live ATC thing didn't pick it up, but... Um, based on what we do here on these live ATC tapes, he never, ever, he didn't read back anything. He didn't read back a hold short. He didn't read back a cross to two right. The only thing he said was the gate that I heard. Yeah, and that's the only read back he did, which is probably the, the piece of information that was the least important. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then it was funny because... The tower controller said to the other Delta flight, the 253, the reason why I canceled your takeoff clearance is because, and I'm thinking, well, you really didn't cancel his takeoff clearance. They said that we're aborting. They yeah. canceled their own takeoff clearance. Yes. There was a loud exclamation in there. Yeah. And it almost sounded like it reminded me of my mom yelling at me, Delta 300. Yeah, I I'm, can only assume there's something that in there because there was a little bit of um, overtransmission as well. So yeah. there were some things we missed. Um, uh, so, uh, and the only thing I'm going to say in the crew's defence was that this latest transmissions, uh, at times they were well paced and very clear. At times they were very very fast. That very first clearance, which included the gate number bit, uh, I thought was unbelievably quick. And I would have had to ask her to say that again. And that ev never, ever happens at John F. Kennedy International. No, never. No. But uh, Sarcasm. You know, it's just that the rest, many of our other transmissions were beautifully paced and, and very clear. But uh, I think we have to acknowledge the fact that uh, although uh, Live ADC does a fantastic job, not all the recordings are a true representation of what you're hearing in the cockpit. Right. That is true. And what, what, you know, what I have to wonder here is at what point was that clearance issued not that i'm giving the guys an excuse um but you know are they you know descent you know slowing down through 80 knots and trying to make the taxiway you know high speed and, and trying to you know control the aircraft and get it off the runway safely and that's what air traffic controllers have a tendency of doing is hitting you with all that before you even off the runway so in this quite i mean if you look at uh, two two left and two two right in jfk the runways are parallel but they're not particularly close together so there's no. some time there there is, um, yeah, yeah. It 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 it. There's some distance, so, uh, you know, it, the crew may have been uh, very busy trying to deal deal with the you know trans maybe the FO had landed transferring the aircraft. I'm just throwing out these different scenarios, and you know, obviously you're not supposed to start cleaning up the aircraft until you you know clear of the active runway. Uh, maybe they get you know given that clearance just at the same time the captain said you know after lane checklist. 
Uh, so there may have been some other distractions there because clearly he missed every bit of that transmission except for what gate number it was. And it could also have been the fact that uh, sometimes, as you know, uh, Dana, uh, especially at Kennedy, um, there you know they request that we call our operations folks to confirm the gate. And when that happens, then the captain says, I'll be on number one radio to do all the transmissions and everything else while you talk to the company and confirm our gate. And, you know, sometimes it's not a good idea to do that until you're, you're, you're finished passing all the active runways in use. Um, but uh, it, it happens quite commonly, though, at Kennedy, where, you know, we clear, we're waiting to get clearance to cross the inboard runway, which is the takeoff runway in this case. And so, okay, I'm going to punch punch the uh, number one comm button. I'm going to be responsible for these communications while my first officer makes sure that we have a gate and what the gate is and that kind of thing. And uh, perhaps that was the captain making the radio transmission. So I'm not, you know, it's just hard to tell really. I don't recognize any voices, but or, or, why would I? It's a different company. It's not acting. And <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But I mean, um, I, I think it was blatantly a, a problem there. Now I can't remember if, uh, New York has fitted uh, the real system to uh, prevent these sort of incursions. Oh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 yeah. Yeah, R-E-I-L. Well, that's actually runway and identifier lights, but I know what you're talking about, those, no, yeah, those yeah. lights that keep you from, like these red lights, these stop bar lights. Yeah, they're, and that kind of they're REL or something, yes. Yeah, I don't know, they call them. Runway some, incursion, something. Anyway, there are a series of automated red lights that uh, will either show, uh, well, they will show, on the on the both the takeoff and uh, end and the landing end and also cr crossing taxiways, if you've got two aircraft that are trying to access the same. Uh, oh, I thought Dana just had a heart attack. <laughs> are you okay, sir? <laughs> He's just clutched his chest and jumped a mile. Somebody must have, somebody must have just come into the room. Or oh my god! I was, I was so I was so in tuned and listening to what Nick was saying that when Julie came and put the cup of tea and the cup of water down and skid crap out of me. <laughs> yeah. It was almost as if she threw them at you or something, your reaction. I was just like, wow. Okay. All right. Um, sorry. Everything's okay there. That's good. Um, I don't, th you know, I, it's been a couple of years since I've flown to Kennedy, so I don't know uh, if they have that kind of system there or not. Um, Dana, do you recall? Yeah, my recollection is that they don't. But again, like you, I haven't been there in a long time. Yeah. So LaGuardia was putting them in. I do remember that they had them in several of those crossing inter uh, intersection um, crossings and that kind of thing. But anyway, um, that's what I recall. But I could be wrong about that as well. I mean, I think I think we have a classic situation of the, you know the Swiss cheese model and probably task saturation um, and not paying attention and in. Uh, you know, assumption as to what they were expecting for yep. a call. So you get all that thing, I think, come into play here. I agree. Yeah, I they're, agree. they're termed RELs, not RELs. Okay. R-E-L-S, uh, -E runway entrance lights. Oh, okay. So they prevent runway incursions. And I've seen them in uh, L.A. when we operated from there. Uh, and they're really good. I mean, they're, and they're independent of any controller or pilot. Uh, so uh, they give you a completely independent indication that uh, that there are two aircraft or a aircraft and a vehicle, for example, are trying to access the runway at the same time. Our producer has looked it up and she says that they do have the system there, but it 
you know, maybe in uh, in some of the taxiway runway uh, junctions, but maybe not all. Uh, Juliet is uh, one of the midfield uh, or three quarters down to to right crossing. Uh, I can't imagine that if they do actually have it right there at that particular taxiway that that anybody would roll over. No, red lights. No, it's, it's pretty damned obvious. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, are you sure? Half you blind. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, I was going to say in, in DFW, they it's. I think that was the first launch airport, if I remember correctly, and it's pretty darn pronounced. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's red light straight across that that uh, runway uh, runway um, crossing hold uh, line. Um, so. If it was red and then and, and they still crossed, that's that would be that's even more damning if it was red and it yeah. actually works at that intersection. And uh, Liz seems to think she's looking at a diagram. And it looks like they do have them working at uh, Juliet. And well, I suppose I could get my I, I could go get my iPad, iPad and, and and verify that. Oh yeah, I, could, I guess I I could use the one that's right right here in front of me. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great idea. Why don't we do that? Uh, get our fifty percentile. Yeah. Of course, I don't feel like walking downstairs right now. My bum, Achilles. Okay. Um, it's okay. Jeff's, Jeff's on it. I'm on it. He, he doesn't remember how to make it work, but no. he's, he's on it. Well, it's been a few days since I've flown, and I can't remember everything. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess we'll take this uh, out in the edit. Oh, yeah. You can count on it. What, what is that? A man sitting on a toilet or something? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a simulator. It says flight safety. Oh, so right. Okay. That's a, since we're talking about this type of topic, it's almost kind of perfect flight safety. Well, on the airport diagram, the 10-9, it doesn't have any indication of that lighting system anywhere. I'm, I'm not sure it actually would if it was actually it's probably installed. Probably on a separate page, I'm afraid. Uh, let me check this one. Now, this one, the AMM, forgot what that stands for, has a little bit more detail uh, regarding things. But I don't, again, think it has anything to do with lighting. Uh, it does show, um, you know, the uh, the hold short lines at Juliet and Tutu Wright, but I don't think it has any information regarding the a lighting. Good comparison to figure it out would be comparing to Dallas. Yeah. If you pull up DFW, then. But I think that uh, Nick might be looking up the FAA website, that link that. Well, I'm uh, just looking to find anything, but. Oh, uh, look at that. Our producer is on it. I'm going to click on this, and it says runway status lights at New York JFK, and runway entrance lights are installed at Juliet and Tutu Wright. And hotel. Now we don't know what the status was of the uh, RELS system, the runway status lights, at the time. Mind you, you know, if you're in your threat and error briefing, if you see that an important safety feature like that, which you'd normally expect is not serviceable, you hopefully would include it and say, yeah. as I do uh, or did in all my uh, uh, briefings, uh, particularly when we're on the ground, I you know, would say when we get a runway crossing clearance, we're both to acknowledge it and to each other before uh, we actually make the crossing. So um, just in case one of us has misheard. In other words, it was never allowed that one pilot was allowed to uh, understand the crossing and take the aircraft across. You both had to have heard it and, and acknowledged between the two of you that that's correct. That's how important we felt about it. Mm-hmm. Well, there are a bunch of notems um, for today um, regarding uh, 
taxiway A, clear bar light for taxiway Quebec out of service, taxiway C between ta- – they, so they have some NOTAMs for some of these systems out of service. I don't see taxiway Juliet included in any of these NOTAMs right now, but it may have been that when this incident occurred that perhaps they were unserviceable. I don't know. Um, but I'm sure that that's going to be something that will be looked at in the investigation. Yeah, there are plenty of hotspots at uh, New York, and they're desperately trying to make sure that we, they don't get incidents. So something like this is um, is, is really sad when mm-hmm. everyone's trying to make such great efforts to avoid what is a potentially nightmarish situation. Yep. Okay, uh, Liz says she'll put those two links in the and this item, uh, ITSN. Good job. Thanks, Liz. All right. Great. Well, that means that we are finished with uh, items in our news folder for today's episode. And lucky you, that means it's time to get to know us. Well, I already know you, Jeff. Getting to know all about you. Come on. definitely not no i don't know the words well just make some up that's what i do okay all right that's too late now it's fading (laughs) off into the into the sunset so dana let's start with you what uh what have you been up to since the last episode nothing all right we'll move on then from now wait a minute can you elaborate a little bit (laughs) i figured i'd get a little reaction out of you guys uh yeah i um I am remiss. I was uh, updating my phone and making sure I backed it up on my computer. And I was going through some of the photographs to eliminate some uh, photographs off my phone and and store them properly. And I came across a photograph of uh, myself in an Acme flight attendant who came up and said, Hi, Captain Dana. I recognize you from the APG. So we had, uh, we, this is before Christmas time. Of course, Christmas got a little crazy with our, our schedules and I kept on forgetting it. And I do apologize. Her name, her name is Nanette Levy and she's an Acme flight attendant. We had a very nice uh, sit down talk, uh, kind of a mini meetup. I asked, you know, we took a photograph, but she said, please don't show it. And I asked her to do a little little audio clip and uh, she said, nah, I I would prefer not to. So I just want to reach out and say hello to Nanette. Um, and uh, finally, that. Fi- finally reaching out and saying hello. Hey, uh, as did, she, as, did she say that she has met me before? Because that um, name sounds familiar. I think I know. I, I think I know who Nanette is. Yeah, we've met I, a few times. Yeah, I think I think she has said that okay. she's met you. All right. Um, so, Hi, but now we're talking about a, about a month ago. Yeah. I haven't um, met Nanette. I feel left out. Well, you are. You have been. You, you have been left <laughs> out on purpose. <laughs> She's like that guy, Nick. I never want to meet him. No. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't blame her. I must admit. I don't blame her one bit either. Other than that, I'm sad that I was uh, not able to hop across the the pond. Um, I was intending on working. Um, and I'm still out with my Achilles issue, um, at least uh, through this next trip. It's it is getting better, but Achilles tendons, as most people that have ever had an injury down there, uh, know that it takes a, a little bit longer for it to heal because the blood flow through that area is is a little bit more restricted. So, and you said you've uh, you've had some surgeries even on that, right? Yep, I've actually had two surgeries on this left side, and uh, the first one failed, uh, and the a surgeon who actually just went and saw her, uh, last week 
um, had uh, said, uh, yeah, you're that guy. And I said, yeah, I know I'm, I'm that memorable. Um, so it was the, the, it had failed and it was about 80% detached when the, on the second uh, surgery occurred. Um, and they had to go into my calf and extend down about three quarters of an inch of my Achilles tendon in, uh, in, uh, reattach it again, clipping off the bad stuff. So this one is already prone to some issues, some issues. So it sometimes gets sensitive, but, uh, with, the uh, with the extra work I'm using, um, using my feet, um, uh, as a captain, it, uh, it, it just got exasperated. So not, uh, <clears throat> Not really work related, but more or less a uh, just an old injury coming back to um, haunt not, you. Not to haunt me. Not that I should be talking about this on air, but it really is irrelevant because it's really uh, uh, something's really happening. So yeah, um, I'm hoping that with some more rest, it, it is starting to improve, and I'm going to see uh, my chiropractor who's doing you know laser cold laser therapy and, uh, you know, manipulating it and getting into, in, into, into position and, and protecting it with a cast um, that hopefully I'll be back to work sooner than later, but I am missing being in the sky. Um, and this gives me something to look forward to seeing you guys. Yes. Uh, uh, not that that's a, not that that's, you know, something to really look forward to. No. What going back to work? No, I've seen you guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I'm really says, only kidding. Extra work with his feet as captain, kicking his FOs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <Nailed it>. yeah, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you guys were there to represent. And uh, I did, uh, I did watch the 300th, and my, it, I don't know why or what what got into me or why I didn't, but I do apologize to the to you and, and congratulate uh, you guys on your 300th episode and uh plain talking uk by the way if, if everybody's wondering yeah. what i'm talking about here <laughs> anyways uh 300th episode and i i didn't do a recording and that was stupid of me and i apologize and i take full uh full hit on that one for for not doing so now we but, told them you said hi and congratulations and all like i said we're good yeah so don't say well, any good. of the stuff you just said it's, it's not what he said, actually. He said he couldn't be bothered. He couldn't be bothered to send I the couldn't record. Be you want to know what? As I, as I said to Dr. Seth in, in the text this morning, because she's, I mean, it's a, this. The, I mean, she, I'm just absolutely flabbergasted and amazed how Dr. Seth is always doing something, going somewhere, uh, traveling the world. Uh, and, you know, I'm a homebody. Not that I was looking for excuses. I really actually took that weekend off originally uh, to be in, in the U.K., but I don't like to, as you, everybody knows, I don't like to travel. I just don't like doing it. So um, it's because I do it all the time. Well, um, a lot to be said about um, staying at home and enjoying the the uh, the pleasures of uh, being in your own, own home, your own bed, that kind of thing. Very we, much so. Yeah, we completely yeah, understand so, that. Yeah. So, but that, that really wasn't the reason why I didn't make it. It's because my, uh, <clears throat> because my, there's many reasons. You're not healthy. No, I'm unhealthy. Yeah. Clearly, I'm just not a healthy guy. Yeah. Well, but, this uh, anyways, I'm missing missing you guys, and and uh, I wish I was there. But I'm going to give you a hug from all the way over here. And the wonderful, and you were talking about raining over there in the UK. We have been getting torrential downpours here as well. So it's just the opposite end of the spectrum as you guys. Mm -hmm. It's torrential rain, but it's also I have the air conditioning on in January. Wow, it's what's nearly the seventy degrees here. Wow, Ooh, that's Lord. about uh, last I checked. 
19 degrees C or something like that. Yeah, well, that's yeah. pretty much the same temperature then. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm just for those who are into Celsius. Uh, when you say oh, yeah. 70, I think it's about 19. No, it's definitely not 19. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's well, a little afraid. chilly and brisk and... Yeah. yeah, in fact, this house is feeling a bit nippy, I think. Actually, it feels pretty good to me right now. Does it? Okay. Maybe it's because I'm sitting next to you, I'm getting hot. I could be. Uh, yeah. I'm a bit, are you sure you're getting, <laughs> what? <laughs> that went right over his head. Yeah, at, not at for first. long. Yeah. Came back like a bang, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> like All a right. boomerang and hit me in the back <laughs> of the head. Uh, Current temperature here is 63 degrees, high forecast high of 68. So right there about uh, 17 to 19 degrees. Right here? Where? Here. Oh, here. there. Okay. Here. Here, yeah. here yeah. in the wonderful state called uh, Atlanta, or I have, <laughs> so whatever you want to call it. Okay. I didn't realize it was a state, but... Uh... No, with 13 degrees here, with a yellow rain warning in place. But the wind, the wind chill has to be a lot lower because there are there's a lot of wind out there, a mm. lot of wind, very strong wind. Well, I mean, very much like uh, New, Eng New England, uh, England when it gets cold and raw and rainy, it just the, the temperature just permeates everything. It yeah. just feels it's kind really of the way cold. it is here. It's just everything. It's just raw, very yeah. cold and wet, and yeah. it's currently gusting sixty miles an hour here. Yeah. 60? So, yeah. yeah. You still have power? Oh, yeah, you bet. It's wow. England, for goodness sakes. Yeah. A lot of our, lot of our cables run underground. I have to uh, admit that uh, the day that you came to pick me up on Friday morning, it was a lovely day. Oh, it Blue was. Blue sky. Yeah, and we had the roof down for a bit just to experience it. On his car, not the house. <laughs> <laughs> he had his top off. What? Wait, hold on. Well, that was later on. <laughs> okay uh let's see here so thank you dana uh, again we missed you and uh but uh, you were well represented there so we all said a good word for you uh to the ptu cares before we talk about that um last trip that i was on i saw a couple of people i think i mentioned well actually it was a trip before but and i mentioned on the last show that i'd met uh peter uh with his wife and one of his daughters uh, in the Atlanta airport, and uh, he sent in a photo that his wife had snapped of uh, the two of us uh, in the Atlanta concourse. Let's see. Is, I hope that was one of the ones that I that I put in the uh, here. That Yeah, I see it. I see it. Okay, hang on. Bear with me, everybody. Uh, share screen and Chrome tab. And which one of these is it? I'm going to say this one, share. Yes. So um, his wife, I think, posted this on Facebook. And so that's Peter. Still don't know his last name, but that doesn't matter. Um, it was great meeting you. And there we are in the right in the middle of the Atlanta <laughs> concourse, blocking traffic. And, you know, the people that really make me upset and swear yes. at, that's what I was doing with Stop. Peter Yeah, in the middle. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, sorry. Is that Acme's logo? Yes, that's Acme's logo. Shut up. <laughs> Actually, no, that was, I, I saw somebody, a friend of mine who works for Delta Airlines, and I said, can I wear your uh, your cap for a moment? And he goes, yeah, sure. He was a nice guy. 
So he was, wasn't he? And yeah. and the same size head. Yes, That's exactly remarkable. the same size head. Okay, enough of that. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's see what else. Oh, I uh, just wanted to do a shout out to Jen Niffer. Um, she does a wonderful blog entitled uh, "Tales from the Terminal." Adventures at the airport and other random musing uh, musings, and I thought it was a very interesting thing. You know, we've talked a lot on our show about the pilot shortage, and uh, so the uh, title of this blog post is "Looming Pilot Shortage, Not Kid Stuff," and she goes to talk about. She believes she understands now why there is such a shortage of pilots, and believe it or not, it has something to do with child's play toys and the little. Uh, thing like the Fisher Price things, and you know you have the airport and the runways and everything else. And if you want to see all the details, why she, and and her brilliant analysis, uh, please check out a little bit of tongue in cheek there. Um, the looming pilot shortage, not kid stuff, by Jen Niffer, um, and that is at Tales from the Terminal. I think that was about all I was going to mention, other than this wonderful time that I've had so far uh, flying from. Uh, Atlanta to uh, Heathrow on Thursday evening. Um, we have two flights, uh, Acme does, um, Acme 30 and Acme 32 that leave Atlanta for Heathrow. The first one around 7.30-ish in the evening and the other one around uh, 10 o'clock, 10.15, something like that, 10, 10. Um, And it was looking more and more as we got closer and closer to uh, the time for the uh, boarding process to happen, actually in the middle of boarding process. I was there for the earlier flight. I had checked my bag because I had uh, some an extra bag that I normally don't take with me when we come over here to the... Well, actually, I do take it with me. Why did I have to check a bag? How is it that I was able to do this before and didn't check a bag? I was going to say, why did you check a bag? Hmm. <laughs> I think It's a question we've often asked ourselves. Hmm. Well, after didn't the show, I'm going to really think about it. But anyway, for some reason, I added an extra bag that I probably didn't need to take with me. Oh, I know why. I know why. Never mind. Okay, so I checked the bag, and then I looked at the number of seats that were available for Delta One. Uh, excuse me, Acme One, <laughs> which is. Uh, well, weren't you flying? You have. Uh... <laughs> okay. Um, Don't you have staff travel rights with Delta? Yes, that's it. Yes. Oh, well, so let's just forget about what airline it was. <laughs> and uh, there were like four of these really nice lie flat seats available. And it looked from the way I was looking at everything that I was just going to miss it. And I thought, hmm, let me check the next flight, the later flight. Oh, a whole bunch of those. Well, six that, that were available. And I was number one on that list. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go. And this is, this is going to work out better for Nick. To pick me up. Over oh yeah, here. I was going to avoid the rush hour traffic, which was quite important yeah. for me. So I thought, hey, win-win. Uh, went to the the thing I was concerned about because you know my bag was already in the checked baggage system, and I knew that if I didn't make that uh, earlier flight, that it was not going to go on the airplane, and I'm not sure what would happen with it or to it. And so I went to the Acme ticket counter. Or not ticket counter, but one of the places where they help you out. Uh, where this is inside of security in the concourse, and said, I, "I'd like I'm, I've rebooked myself on the later flight. What about my bag?" And they said they did something on the computer and said, "No problem, you got it." And just, gave me a piece of sending paper. Sending an email saying that bloke on the earlier flight you know, lose his bag. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I see here that he's a pilot, so you know, get rid of his bag. 
So ended up coming, and I kind of have had a feeling that the bag was not going to make it. And we arrived, or I arrived uh, the next morning, Friday morning, and waiting for the bag and the baggage claim carousel. And then I heard my name being paged, and I thought, mm-hmm, yeah, I know what this is about. So no problem. Yeah, actually, it didn't work out. I to might be a- point out, in the meantime, I'm dodging policemen doing laps around the airport. Yeah, I do apologize for that. He did send me a couple of nasty text messages saying, what are you doing? What's taking so long? (laughs) And so, um, but the next day, because of the uh, Plain Talking UK podcast's uh, 300 episode celebration, which Dana was uh, mentioning earlier, uh, that that we were coming back to Heathrow anyway, because that's where the event took place at the Renaissance, right at Heathrow Airport. So I thought, yeah, no problem. Just one extra day without clothes and and they 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 set me up here with uh you know deodorant thank goodness and uh toothpaste toothbrush all that kind of stuff so i was good to go over here so it wasn't really a major uh inconvenience at all and uh sure enough it did make it into that for uh in that next morning and uh nick took me over there picked it up and got all my clothes back and we're good to go. So a little, we all a, breathed a sigh of relief and took the pegs off on those. Yes, I did notice that. People started approaching me a little bit more closely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, we were there that uh, that morning and the the meetup gathering, etc. Had a little bit of lunch and then the uh, the event, the live recording occurred. We'll have a, a link to that in the show notes, so you can watch the uh, uh, the three hundred episode uh, celebration. But um, Nick and uh, Steph and I uh, were uh, invited to be in uh, in that panel. Dana would have been as well if he'd been there uh, on that front panel, along with other uh, podcasters, including the um, the three uh, PTUK uh, hosts that uh, were over here in England and always are here in England. And uh, Armando was uh, yeah, he he joined from behind the curtain in in reality on a on a video link from uh, where he was holding standby. Um, back home. Yes, he's um, now a uh, a fully fledged, checked out, on the schedule reserve um, pilot for boutique. I believe. Well, I'm, maybe I'm not supposed to say that for an air of a small airline that flies um, a boutique airline. PT. Uh, what do they call those? Uh, PC twelves, uh, Pilatus PC twelves, and uh, I think they also fly um, uh, some King Airs, uh, I believe. But anyway. So uh, he's all checked out on the PC-12, and uh, he wasn't able to make it. But it was funny because every time he started talking, it seems like every time I was about to say something is when Armando would jump in. Maybe that was his role. Yeah, as Dis- soon as you see disembodied voice, as soon as you see Nielsen <laughs> starting to talk, just jump in. But it was funny because you, you, we didn't see him on the screen or anything, and everybody would be going. Like, where's that coming from? It was like Dr. Bob. Do you remember those, on the Muppets? They used to be uh, doing a skit about uh, when they were doing an operation, and all of a sudden this voice would come, and they would stop and start looking around, <laughs> see where the voice is coming from. Exactly like that. Anyway, great time. Uh, lots of folks uh, there for the uh, celebration. Um, uh, all of them PTUK listeners uh, and several of them also APG community members, and it was a great time. So, uh, and uh, after the after the celebration, uh, we uh, had a, a very nice dinner at the at the hotel, and then we went over to a oh, pub. Cake, cake. Oh, the cake was amazing. I probably should have put a picture of that in the uh, in the notes here but uh, I'll I'll put it in the show notes it's so a bit of a that's what she said picture really <laughs> yes <laughs> okay oh okay i guess so I'm just yeah, going so by the shape of the cake oh it was a very erect um 
tower. Yes, it was. Yes. Uh, the control tower at Heathrow. Beautiful cake. Uh, very, very realistic. Um, and, and very tasty. Okay. Um, uh, and then we went to the magpie for a few yeah, beers. Yeah, the three magpies. Yeah. And who else was there? We had Fred. Uh, we had uh, Tanya flew Tanya. all the way from New York. So Fred flew over from San Francisco. Uh, we had the lovely Myla, who uh, came across from uh, Europe, mainland yeah, Europe. from uh, Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first time uh, I'd actually met Myla in person. And it was the weirdest thing. And many of you can kind of share this experience where you think you have met this person because you know them from social media and all the different things that we do on the podcast. And then when I saw her for the first time, I went, oh, I don't think we've actually met in person. And so that was uh, very nice to see Myla. We had Jan from Berlin. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm probably leaving people out, but uh, it was there were some regulars. There was uh, Richard, not far from me, down on the Isle of Wight. Stuart. Uh, yep. And, of course, uh, um, Adam Spink, who gave a great talk in the morning uh, all about um, BA-38 and the incident at uh, Heathrow Airport, uh, which he witnessed as the... Uh, uh, supervisor in the tower of the day uh and that was a really good one because uh, he was able to cover things that he perhaps wouldn't do on a more public uh, um environment but uh no it was uh, there were a great bunch of people and everyone seemed to enjoy themselves yes great time had by all and then the next uh, morning we most of us went down and had our uh full english breakfast Twice and, or three times, it was, <laughs> if you wanted, and uh, then everybody started dispersing. And uh, yes, there were plenty of people to take back to the uh, terminal. So I got my little red car out and was rushing back and forth. Mm-hmm. I just found the photo that Liz sent me of the cake, and let me see if I can share it with our viewers on the video here dun, dun. and i'm going to yep there it is bingo look at that thing so one slightly amusing thing about it is the red um looks like a, a lego brick at the bottom of the tower shaft which is actually the external lift and uh adam was mentioning that on the day of the uh, incident when the BA-777 crashed, he had been stuck halfway up the column uh, when the lift failed and no one knew where he was. Yeah, because they Actually, nobody missed him, to be <laughs> no, honest. he'd forgotten his mobile <laughs> phone, uh, left his mobile phone down below, and uh, the, uh, you know, the alarm system in the lift had failed. So he was stuck there for an hour or two until eventually uh, a pilot taxiing past the tower was looking up saying, that lift doesn't normally stop there, and told ground, and they, <laughs> they sent someone down to rescue him. <laughs> yeah, so it was a pilot in an airplane, I think. Yeah, yeah that's that, right. that noticed that somebody was waving frantically from the lift. <laughs> Hanging on the side of the tower, yeah. Exactly. Wow, that's funny. That is. It was uh, a good story. Great presentation by Adam Spink. Yeah, he's a good talker. Yes. Yeah. He makes most of everything up. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, anyway, so that was, that was a lot of fun. And then, uh, later in the, well, I guess about midday, uh, Nick and I headed back. Oh, by the way, have to mention that Nick picked me up from the airport, took me back to the airport and then took me back here 
to his uh, wonderful home. He, he and Jilly's wonderful uh, place. It feels like I'm on a, in a luxury resort and I'm on vacation. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, but in his uh, brand new Audi Quattro, yeah, yeah, black edition, TT, or something yeah, like that. TT, a TT, black edition. Don't nice tell t- everyone on that can be coming to pinch it oh, on my yeah. drive. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's it's heavily fortified, so don't even try it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's a great car. It's amazing. It's a very very nice. I I personally, uh, my piles don't like the ride too much. It's it's quite a firm ride. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only joking. It's actually uh, I'm very pleased with this it. good car. Yes. Uh, uh, Tanya got a ride in it. Uh, he took Tanya over to uh, the Terminal 5 for her flight on uh, Sunday. Yeah, she seemed to enjoy it. Several that. people en- ended up getting some rides in the car, I Even think. Even Stephanie. Yeah. So uh, that's about all there is to say about that. So and we uh, really enjoyed the uh, the PTUK uh, party and uh, celebration. And congratulations again to all of you over at the PTUK. And uh, just wanted to let you know we're always going to be 100 ahead of you. At least. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I say that, but so, that may not actually be true. <laughs> but I hope so anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, but having a great time here. One of the things that uh, Nick and I did yesterday, uh, he felt compelled to, you know, take me somewhere or show me something. Um, he didn't need to, but I'm glad he did because um, I love gin and he is starting to become uh, someone who uh, appreciates it as well. Oh, yes. And uh, he knew uh, that uh, my favorite gin is made by Bombay Sapphire Distillery. And he said, do you know that the Bombay Sapphire Distillery is not too far from where I live? And I said, I did not know that. And so he did some checking online and found that they did have a tour and uh, signed us up for the 215. And so we headed uh, up that way. And... Um, it's it's in Hampshire, which is where where you are. I guess the county of Hampshire. Right? Yes, that's right. It's not far from Basingstoke, Laverstoke, or bit. something like that. Uh, Laverstoke, L- L- Laverstoke. Yes, okay. I think beautiful. It used to be a mill, um, and then uh, the company, the uh, Bombay Sapphire Company, ended up buying the place and moving in. I think about 2014, only about five years ago. Um, but it it doesn't look like it's a new distillery at all. It's a uh, you know, it's it's in these old buildings, and uh, anyway, really, really nice tour. Let me show you some pictures uh, if you're watching the video, and if not, then you can uh, ITNS, uh, no, ITSN, sorry, in the show notes uh, for you to take a look at. And so here, let me share the screen again, and that should be, should I start with the one that you sent me? Oh, why not? That, yeah, we, Jeff was feeling a little bit, uh, uh, it, <laughs> his digestive system uh, was a bit of a worry so they put up notices warning people there's a sign on the door that says uh, danger explosive atmosphere and i'm a little concerned about that yes yes we actually had to for that part of the tour we actually had to turn our phones off unpower them and our watches uh and uh yeah they were yeah. obviously a bit concerned she actually came up I was looking at my watch like I was trying to ask her if I needed to turn off my watch, but apparently she thought I was trying to figure out how to turn it off. And actually, it's the first time that it's ever been turned off. Um, are we supposed to turn these off when we're flying? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> anyway, she she just walks put, up to me. You and put them just, in flight mode, Jeff. Oh, yes. That's what I always do. Um, <laughs> and she comes up and just hits the button and holds it, and then it just shuts down. I went, oh, thank you. Actually, I was just asking if I needed to turn my because she was talking about Fitbits and that kind of thing. And I was saying, does it include the Apple Watch? But anyway, a little miscommunication uh, because she speaks English. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, let's see. Let me see if I can find these uh, pictures here. I knew I was doing something. Uh, no. Hmm. Where is it? Okay. Let me go back to, it may have, it must have been something that I did during the show. Um, should I show this one? The one that uh, was, yes, uh, that's the one well, that no, got us thrown out. Let me, let me save that one for last. The okay. one that got us thrown out of the place. Um, oh, here uh, I'm in the, um, in the, uh, what do you call this thing? And it was a, gla- a greenhouse, really. It was, uh, they had a Mediterranean, uh, one and a tropical one. And they they they've got examples of all the plants uh, to provide the botanicals that go into the gin in there, uh, and also they've got some banana plants which Jeff was hiding. Well, I was behind. trying to hide from the the endless photographs that you were taking, <laughs> and he caught me uh, behind one of the banana leaves. Um, here is the uh, the fine Captain Nick uh, trying to listen uh, for some gin. I was, yeah, I was checking out the audio qualities of the gin. Yes. And uh, here's one of me uh, in the same location at the bar, trying to look as suave and debonair as I can for somebody my age. And uh, let's see. Uh, here's some more good stuff. Here's one of the uh, an, an example of the architecture of the, the uh, beautifully restored and a couple of the stills the, inside the place is goes back uh, quite a few centuries but uh, uh, pretty much derelict when uh, uh, blue sapphire took it over and they've done a lovely job uh, renovating all the all the old buildings yes and uh, here's here's a video that uh, nick took it was kind of a blustery day toward the end of the tour and we were outside in kind of a courtyard area and you can see if you watched uh, the very end of the video uh, how i was enjoying the weather uh, okay. Let's see if that's yeah, it is. Thankfully, you can't hear the audio. There's a lot of wind noise. So you're about to see me standing there, really enjoying the weather, with his hair in perfect place as usual. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> being blown away like a balloon. Um, and uh, oh, Indiana Jones was uh, there. Uh, Nick looking very dapper in his Indiana Jones hat and and uh, jacket. And uh, here's one of the older stills. I think that was, which one is that? Thomas? Yeah, that's right. Named after one of the guys who uh, invented gin. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, what they, I think, one of their original stills still going. Mm-hmm. And still whacking out gin at a hell of a rate. Yep. And they gave us a complimentary cocktail at the very end. And here I am enjoying that. And then uh, I wanted more. And uh, (laughs) this is what uh, unfortunately got us thrown out of the uh, distillery uh, when I actually started just drinking straight from one of the bottles on the wall. And uh, they said, no, you got to you're out of here. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we had a really good time over at the. Bombay Sapphire Distillery in and came back with some uh, some purchases. Yeah, a couple of bottles of uh, sapphire, and uh, I ended up getting a, a a jigger. And I'm talking; it's not a verb; it's a noun. Um, I guess it could be a a, a verb as well. But uh, I'm talking about this little thing to measure uh, jiggers of gin. So anyway, had a fun time. Thank it was it was a nice place to go visit. That's for sure. Thanks. Yes, been eating beautifully and wonderfully here um, at the uh, 
uh, as Shay Anderson. And uh, tomorrow I head back to uh, reality, back home. So and that's it, really? Yeah, that's what I've been doing since the last show. Did you warn Nick that I'm showing up uh, tomorrow, uh, following what's, what's tomorrow? Tomorrow's what, Wednesday? Uh-huh. I'll be there Thursday morning. Oh, no, I didn't warn him. Uh, you, you told oh, me not to tell him. Oh, well, that's a oh, shame, because we're actually going to northern Scotland tomorrow. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, huh. I'm sorry, man. I, be, I, I better cancel that trip. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we decided to go and help the poor people that, that are being uh, blown away in Scotland right now. I bet they are. The actually. weather up there is pretty foul today. Yeah. Speaking well, of pretty – oh, yes, sir. I was going to – you know, because I was your little birdie – when you came over to went over to England, uh-huh. uh, coming back looks marvelous. I know you've looked. Yes, uh, the, especially the uh, the later flight is, is a lot of seats available on that flight. Yeah, I don't think you'll have a problem. I don't think so. In fact, I don't think I'll even have to use an S two priority to get a nice seat on that one. Well, so, I hope they oh, yeah. cancel the flight because it's nearly empty. Yeah, I hope they don't do that. No, I don't that think that be Acme doesn't what? do that. Hey, Jeff, why don't you try for the earlier flight and, and use your uh, try uh, Acme Red, see what that's like. Uh, well, I could do that. I'm just It's just a complete thought because now that there's that opportunity to do so. Yeah, you know, I hadn't, you even, can, hadn't even thought of that. And, and then if you don't get that uh, <clears throat> comfortable seat, then you can always just hang around for an hour and 20 minutes, our hour flights, and 40 minutes. Uh, our flights are usually uh, chocker, So, What's chocker? Full, full. Because we're popular. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, that's kind of rude. Well, well, well I, I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm I, I was going to say, I know it's a pain in the butt to check Nick, but you could actually spend a little time and check for him. No, I couldn't because I'm retired. He doesn't I, have access I can't to get on to the website anymore. <clears throat> Can, can't you call in like under retiree or something? Yeah, that would be asking way too much. Yeah, him, they're so. probably already closed. Yeah. Yeah, I'll worry about it tomorrow. All right. Thank, but that's, just, thank you for the uh, suggestion. That's a good idea. I might, yeah, just, just might check idea. into that. Okay. Excellent. Well, now that we're finished with our chit-chat, let's uh, quickly uh, take a look at the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. Since the last episode, a few folks have given us contributions to the Coffee Fund. Uh, We like to call them the Coffee Fund Cadre or the Coffee Bar Club or just wonderful, beautiful people. Um, and there are a couple of different ways to do it. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method, and you can give a one-time or a recurring uh, donation via that. And uh, George Leslie was one of those who does a recurring contribution via the Classic Fund. And thank you very much, George. And we have uh, Michael Smith gave us a, a, a one-off and a very nice one, $50. Wow. Thank you, Michael. Oh, thank yeah. you, sir. That'll pay for uh, a couple of beers at the pub tonight. Uh, at least. At least. At least. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you very much for that, Michael. And uh, the other way to do this is to become a patron of the show. And we do have, and why didn't I write down? Uh, I thought I did that. 
Hey, I found it. <laughs> his his name is Greg Greg Dunn, and he is that was going to be my next guess. Yeah, sure it was. <laughs> and he is a new executive producer. Ooh, so thank you, sir. Thank you, Greg, Cheers. very much for signing up to be a patron of <laughs> the APG. Wow, which which show is that? Yeah, the APG show. Okay, there you go. Well, that was well done, wasn't it? Yep, very professional, yeah. Jeff. Professionally right. executed. Yes. You can tell you've been doing this for 10 years. Yeah, I know. Not. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, it's now time for one of the best parts of the show, which is, of course, your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Okay, let's start with uh, item one in the show notes. And this is from Mark. And he uh, says, good day, Captain Jeff. And he, the title of his uh, feedback is Big TV Star. <laughs> Not really, no. Yes. Um, just curious. And this is re- in regard to my appearance on the uh, Weather Channel. Little oh, as opposed spot. to your stature. Yes. Okay. Um, well, yes, I'm very big in the, in the midsection, that's for sure. Um, just curious, how is Stephanie, the... Uh, weather expert on the weather channel uh stephanie abrams he's referring to i, I love he puts wc because that has different connotations <laughs> yeah. here in the united kingdom which stands for water closet yeah maybe he was talking about dr steph on the water closet <laughs> i don't know <laughs> uh is she as spectacular and awesome and beautiful in real life as she is on the tube now, in both cases, whether he's talking about Dr. Steph or Stephanie Abrams, I can definitely say yes. Yes. Yes, she's, she is spectacular and awesome and beautiful. I think uh, Mark A. has a, a crush on Stephanie Abrams. That's what I think. He says, I've been an anonymous stalker. A Sorry. Big, a bit, stop it over there. <laughs> I've been an anonymous stalker, a big fan for years. All right. So there you go, Mark. Quick. A quick question. Is that a big answer. ass fan? Um, that yes, yes. Excuse me. Uh, he said he's a big fan. I was just curious. Oh no, 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 a big ass fan. I think. I mean, he a big fanatic. I think. Ah, okay, right. Um, item two. Scott writes in. He says, after years of negotiations, the pilot group was finally able to implement the APG function in our A cars. This will help us. Uh, line pilots keep the show above 50% accuracy. Send in feedback. Which and, we're in desperate need of. Yes, and listen to the show after the break is set. Again, this is Scott Scotterson. He sends us a picture of um, the ACAR screen. And bottom right, and we'll put this uh, uh, this pic, ITSN, um, it has APG in the bottom right-hand corner. I have no, What would that be for? Dana, do you have any idea? No. I guess it's actually for sending him feedback and keeping us above 50%. Yeah, I love that. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. For uh, And, and th- this, this ACARS, I mean, um, yeah, it's a Collins. It's nothing that we have. No. Yeah, no, it doesn't it's look. A, it, it maybe an Airbus or even, no, kind of looks like an not, RJ, maybe. It's not Airbus. It's probably an RJ. Yeah, it looks like an RJ, actually. Now that I'm looking, taking a really good look at it, <clears throat> yeah. RJ, I've never seen any. Well, I don't know. What would that stand for? APG, airline pilot guy. That's it. Guy. All right. Yep. I think it might be 
You know, it's been so long since I've been on that airplane now. I probably know. I do have the manual. I could look it up. Yeah, you could do that. You know, Jeff, uh, Dana said all that without moving his lips. I know, he's very good. He's he's practicing his ventriloquism. He's very good. Are you telling me this thing froze again? (laughs) All right, we're just going to stay there. I'm leaving it alone. I'm not going to touch it. Yeah, it's fine. The hell with the video. (laughs) It's a good picture this time. You're not giving me the uh, evil eye. Well, it is a well, little bit slightly of evil. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at you both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. So we'll just leave it. Um, uh, I am not going to screw with it today. Okay. Uh, and maybe when we go to Plain Tales, I'll, I'll go ahead and try it. <laughs> I don't blame you. Just leave it alone. Um, yep. Let's see. Item three. Danny uh, thought this might amuse you guys. This is Danny Corder, Managing Director at Effing Technology <laughs> Limited. Yes, very good. <laughs> Which isn't far away from here. What kind of technology? Effing. Effing technology. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, Airport worker almost forgets to add the chemtrails. Uh Uh-oh. A man who refuses, uh, refuels commercial jets has uh, has admitted he almost forgot to add the mind-controlling chemicals. Aircraft maintenance technician Wayne Hayes revealed he only remembered at the last minute to pour the big jug full of stuff into the plane's fuel tank. The substance will be sprayed out the back of the plane in a hidden bright line of steam. A hidden is uh, in quotations, uh, so you, uh, that you can see from forty thousand feet away, and will make you believe everything that the deep state state wants you to believe. Hay said, "I'd been, I'd have been in a real pickle if I forgot the secret government cabal that provides provides them to every airport without the public finding out would have given me a right bollocking." The last person who sent a plane off with just normal fuel was sent to the secret Illuminati jail under St. Paul's Cathedral. No thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's a very important thing to remember if you're a fueler to add the special chemicals to the fuel mix. Exactly right, yeah. Otherwise, we won't be able to keep the world under control. That is from the dailymash.co.uk, obviously a site of satire. Um, item four, um, Captain and Dr. Kirk, Dirk, Captain Dr. Kirk. Kirk, Dr. Kirk, that's, a, that's Captain, that's Kirk. Captain Kirk, I don't know, what yeah. Captain and Dr. Dirk uh, writes in, he's a retired anesthesiologist now flying citations for a small part 135 company. In the last episode, 406, you discussed the CRJ550. I had a chance to fly on one recently, and all I can say is, hooray, they finally got a regional jet right. There are plenty of seats to fit my six-foot-five frame. Wow, he's a tall man. Uh, It was incredibly comfortable compared to the CRJ200s or ERJ145s that I get stuck flying in from the small airport in the town where I live. My prediction is that this aircraft will be very popular with passengers. I was sorry to hear about the unions being unhappy. I hope that doesn't become an impediment to seeing many more similar aircraft flying in the U.S. Thanks for the great podcast. As an aside, Dr. Steph, I'd like to start hearing that you were flying and piloting more often. That's what he means, not flying. She's flying more often. It's just, you know, actually flying the airplane more often. So, um that was for Dr. Steph, if you're listening. And again, that's uh, from Captain and Dr. Dirk, uh, one and the same person. I was going to say, shouldn't it be Dr. Captain Dirk? Or Dr. Captain Dirk, yeah, because he is presently a captain. Um, I don't know which, no uh, Dirk. which pre-nominal uh, has, has precedence. So. I don't know. Apparently, he thinks that the, well, I don't know. 
he used both, and I'm not sure. And shouldn't how he he's have MD them. after his name? Um, I don't know. Dirk, Captain if you want to, if you want to write to uh, Nick at Nick at Airline Planet, uh, <laughs> I'm just you're curious. You're welcome to. Uh, We'd like to get things right on this show. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's funny. Oh boy. Uh, well, we try. <laughs> we like to appear that we like to get things We're right. We're very on the show. trying. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Trying to get things right right now. Yeah. So have you? No. Have, oh, okay. Just because uh, <laughs> we now we can't see you. So if you're trying to interject in any way, you'll just have to interject without care, without putting yeah. your hand up. Well, like, do you, do no. I normally ever care? No. Oh, that's true. <laughs> just do what you normally do. All right. Okay. Uh, item five from JJ, not Pittsburgh. <laughs> so it's just plain JJ. Uh, he requests advice and he says he's a longtime listener and he loves the podcast. He recently obtained a UPT slot for the Air National Guard and has been selected uh, for the KC-135. Yay. Where's the audience? Here we go. I mean, the applause. Here we go. Well, that's brilliant news. Um, I didn't know they were still flying those museum yeah, pieces. Oh, here we go. Um, I'm very excited about the opportunity and wondered if Captain Jeff or Nick might have any advice for excelling in military flight training. Uh, keep up the good work. Cheers, JJ. Well, unfortunately, neither of us uh, excelled in military flight training, so we really can't tell you. I, no I would recommend you buy your instructors lots of beer. Yes. That helps. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, actually, no, both of us actually did excel in our military flight training. And uh, we, we talked about it a little bit uh, when when this was sent in by JJ. And uh, I, I was telling Nick, I think that the most important thing that I'd say you'd have to remember that when you're doing military flight training as opposed to civilian flight training is that when you're doing civilian training, you're the one that's paying for everything. And... If you screw it up, you're the one that's going to lose the money and all that kind of stuff. In the military, they're not requiring you to pay them. They're actually paying you. On the other hand, they have very, very high standards. And they have, um, you know, you have to hit certain performance levels. And they don't give you any slack when it comes to, you know, if you just quite almost get it, but not quite, they're not going to say... You know, let's go out and give you, well, they will give you a little bit of extra time and that kind of thing within reason. Uh, but you can't just keep, as in the civilian world, if you keep messing things up, you can just keep throwing money at it and eventually maybe you'll get it. But the military doesn't have the patience for that. Um, so very high standards, very high stress levels. Um, and uh, and I'm sure a lot of these things can be shared with both worlds, civilian and military. But um you know, you you basically have one shot at it, and you got to get it right. And there might be a couple of times when you when you have to uh, try it again. But uh, as I said, they don't they don't give you forever to get it right. And so you have to understand that they mean business. They expect you to be um, a military pilot, and they expect to use you and get their money's worth out of you. And um, I would say there's there's no doubt about it. The uh, military love people who are enthusiastic about their job, want to succeed. They you know spend go that little extra mile uh, in their studying. Um, uh, they they hate layabouts. They hate people who don't try. They, they hate people who are, who are just taking a ride. You know. 
just going along with the flow. They love the people who want to stand out, put their head and shoulders a little bit above the rest. So, um, yeah, work hard and, uh, you know, play hard and enjoy yourself because that'll put you in the right frame of mind to succeed, I'm sure. And, you know, the there might be a slight... Um tendency for you for those who have already have assignments as you do because you are with the uh, air national guard you're affiliated with that unit they you already know that if you make it through your pilot training you will be flying the kc-135 um, most of those that are there in military flight training don't know what their assignment's going to be so they're really fighting hard to do the best they can to to be toward the top of the class so they can help choose or they can have a have a way of uh, possibly choosing the aircraft they want to fly um and you already know what you're going to fly so i guess what i'm trying to say is don't rest on your laurels uh keep fighting hard just as if you don't have an assignment yet and that will keep you up uh with the the other people uh, toward the top of the class yeah i guess if that makes any sense um don't forget, we're both, uh, you know, well divorced from that environment nowadays. Yes, so we're speaking from experience that uh, right. we did, in my case, forty years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I hope that helps. But congratulations! I think you're absolutely going to find that it's uh, the, the pilot training is just amazing. As, as I said, the most stressful, the hardest year of my life, and uh, but it was worth it. Uh, maybe at the time it didn't feel so, but uh, after it was all over, uh, definitely worth it. Um, we do have some uh, audio feedback from Stefan, or is it Stefan? Stefan. Well, I think he says maybe. Here, let's have a listen. Hello, Captain Jeff. Hello, APG crew. Nick asked me to give you some feedback regarding episode 406. And the comment of Captain Steve made about a, a rather old article about the um, the taxi bot, a pushback truck designed to pull aircrafts to the runway prior engine start. Well, I did about three tours with that kind of track back in 2015. Well, the idea to use a truck, well, the idea to use a truck to pull the aircraft to the runway is not new. Pulling the aircraft to the runway could save fuel and wear on the engines, but there were always two big problems. ATC clearance. You had to somehow provide the truck driver directly with a ground clearance or through the pilots to avoid, uh, well, conflicts with other air traffic at the airport. And the towing itself, that's the other problem. The nose gear is actually not designed for repetitive tows at maximum gross weight. Sooner or later you will put too much stress on the nose gear, reducing the lifetime of uh, the system. The taxi bot was designed in a way to deal with this problem. Well, it is designed, by the way. The turret, which picks up and lifts up the nose gear, can detect turning movement of the nose gear. So when lifted up and the pilot is turning the nose gear via the steering tiller, those movements are transferred to the steering system of the truck. The pilot is remote controlling the truck via the aircraft nose gear. And so he or she can steer the aircraft truck system according to the ATC clearance over the airport. Also, this turret is equipped with sensors 
and a damping system which detects the force on the nose gear for two reasons. To reduce acceleration and deceleration forces on the nose gear so that, the, that they stay within limits and to detect if the pilot is playing brakes since this is a method to determine the taxi speed. So it basically worked like this. Prior to, to the flight uh, you needed to confirm the aircraft type and the reported braking action good, medium, poor, with the truck driver. The driver needed the actual gross weight and the center of gravity so that truck uses the correct forces on the nose gear. The truck or the taxi board had two modes, driver mode and pilot mode. Uh, the flight starts as usual. After boarding, loading, removing the jetty, all that's left is the ramp engage and the truck driver and the taxi bot and a clearance for pushback from ramp control. The truck is now in driver mode and will perform an ordinary pushback. When the pushback is completed, you tell the truck driver to switch to pilot mode and immediately get your taxi clearance and the all clear signal from the ramp agent. No engine start is needed. Taxi is done simply by releasing the brakes. The taxi bot maintains a constant pull force at the aircraft to up to a certain speed depending on the area where you are located and if you are in a turn. In example, on the ramp it will not go faster than 10 knots. On set open taxiways up to 22 knots with braking action good. Since you were lifted up, your pitch attitude was a bit higher and the steering point was 4 meters ahead of you than normal. 4 meters because the steerable wheels of the taxi board were now doing the turning job. But otherwise, taxi was quite normal. Speed control was a bit like cruise control in a car. Frequent braking reduced the max speed step by step. But after the time delay, it, time delay, it uh, went slowly up again. You had to get your taxi clones from ground control as usual. Ground control knew that you were taxi botting to inform other aircraft if needed and they directed you to a point close to the runway. There you would set the parking brake once stopped, tell the truck driver to switch back to driver mode. He, she, the driver will assist you uh, with the engine start as usual and give you a hand signal for all clear. And uh, so, and after that, you were on, up off to your own as usual, similar to a single man pushback procedure. Uh, there are certain things we have to keep in mind. There were contingency procedures like loss of hydraulic power, loss of com, or even other bigger problems, but they were not quite different as usual. You should brief your cabin crew prior to the operation since. They were of course not used to taxi around the airport without engines running and delayed engine start afterwards. And of course then there is the engine warm up prior takeoff. I believe that was a point where you had your biggest concern with that, that the warm up time will eat up most of your fuel savings. Well the engine warm up time for most aircraft is about 2 minutes. It's not that long I think. And only a few types need up to 5 minutes and only if they had longer ground time. Uh, I think uh, more than 2 hours ground time on a A320neo you need the 5 minutes for example. Uh, 
but I think this system has some potentials, potentials depending on the type of operation and the airport. I think it would be a good idea to use it on bigger airports with long taxi times and enough space at the runway itself to accommodate aircraft starting, the engines there. Uh, in example, in my mind, Amsterdam would be an example. Madrid would be an example. Huge taxiways and lots of space. The manufacturer claims fuel savings, less engine wear, less risk of FOD, or foreign object uh, damage. And one thing which I think is true, lots of time saving at very dense or cramped aprons. Since after the pushback, you can almost immediately taxi out of the area and do not block other aircraft wanted to get in are out. I think the disadvantages are the more complex towing system and perhaps more space at the runways itself. The uh, TaxiBot itself uses a hybrid electrical system. It has two diesel engine driven electrical generators providing the energy for the electric drive system. Perhaps in future they might be able to provide the engine with batteries, but actually I doubt it. Uh, it it's designed to pull an A380, so it has lots of power. Uh, the system is actually in operation at Delhi Airport right now, so maybe we are going to see more of it that uh, system in future. And um, one more thing, I think at present stage is not designed to drive autonomously back to the APRM or auto autonomously at all. It's a, it's a system which needs a truck driver. Um, yeah, one, uh, by, the, by, by the way, there are other systems in development to reduce uh, the carbon emissions. One system, is an example, is installing an electric motor directly in the aircraft wheels, powered by the APU and batteries, um, but there have been only small trials with that. But at least with an A320 they did that. Um, I give you some links later on in, uh, for your show notes perhaps. I'd like to make another comment about aircraft trucks. Um, those lift-up trucks have their problems. In my career, I happened to be three times that I got a 30-minute plus delay to a faulty truck which were not able to put me down again. It stuck. I was stuck up there. <laughs> and also, some 18 years ago, they tried a new Tobalus truck on my aircraft. After um, 50 minutes, I gave up, but not prior to destroying the taxi light of my 737. Well, I hope it explains a bit about the taxi bot. A big thank you again for your show and lots of greetings from Stefan in Hamburg. Bye-bye. There we go, Stefan in Hamburg. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've always thought he was kind of stuck up. I was stuck up there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> poor chap. <laughs> yeah, dear. Actually, it's really good stuff uh, because uh, hearing from someone who's actually experienced it and trialed it is uh, worth his weight in gold. So thanks very much indeed for sending that in. Stuff. Yes, very much so. It's, it's always nice to hear people have experience with these things. Um, and and getting <laughs> getting stuck up on the... Uh, on the uh, taxi bot is yeah. got to be a little <laughs> yeah, frustrating, right. right? I hope to see you, Stefan, uh, next month when uh, I head out to Hamburg to uh, uh, do a lecture. So uh, I'm not there very long, So, but uh, I hope to at least be able to buy him a beer. And I'm, I'm going to go and try and find a shop that sells gin sul as well. Oh, which, yeah. That lovely gift, Stefan. Yes, sent thank us. you very much for that wonderful gift, Stefan. Mm, yeah, very nice, very um, tasty. And did you say he flies the 380? 380? Yeah, he's a 380 captain. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, he loves the airplane. Absolutely loves it. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Um, I was just thinking, you know, one of the, in my mind, one of those things that might be a, a, 
a downside to that whole system is now you have these taxi bots having to mix it up with all the airplanes heading back to the ramp area. What if you had like a, a gate, like an automated gate or something like a security gate toward the end of the runways and then they could just go out and then just drive back on the regular roadways around the airport? I'm sure they could. And to think about it, there are a lot of roadways around uh, that uh, uh, fire trucks and things can use. Uh, they don't necessarily have to go on taxiways. They can get to airports uh, uh, on roads. And I'm sure they can return on those kind of roads. Yeah. All right. Well, just an idea. Um, you know, it's getting close to that time where we uh, normally do our installment of the plane tales. So... What do you think? You want to do it right now? Oh, yeah, that's fine. All right, let's do that. So here we go. This week's episode, the A300. The old pilot's plane tales, the A300. This was a story I wrote for the Plane Talking UK podcast's 300th show. But it's a great tale, and one I thought worth repeating. The A300 was Airbus's very first aircraft, and it took to the air in 1972. It has the distinction of being the world's first twin-engined wide-body airliner, as well as the world's first ETOPS airliner. It was a very successful design that often goes unnoticed amongst the plethora of high-profile airliners out there. But there was one event that put it into the history books. Sadly, it's rarely remembered, so let me tell you about it. In 2003, a US-led coalition of forces invaded Iraq. The attack lasted just over a month, after which President George W. Bush declared mission accomplished. But for some, that declaration was a little premature, since the conflict was about to enter another phase. It would become a guerrilla war, which continued to fester well into the next decade. The Fedayeen Saddam was not part of Iraq's regular armed forces, but rather it operated as a paramilitary unit of irregulars. As a result of this, the Fedayeen reported directly to the presidential palace rather than through the military chain of command. Whereas the Iraqi army and the Republican Guard quickly collapsed, Fedayeen forces put up stiff resistance to the coalition invasion. They entrenched themselves in the cities and launched guerrilla-style attacks on supply convoys. The fall of Baghdad effectively ended their existence as an organized paramilitary, but they would continue well after. Some of its members died during the war, but a large number survived and were willing to carry on the fight even after the fall of Saddam Hussein from power. It's now November, some months after the invasion, and the French reporter Claudine Vernier-Palliez, writing for the sensationalist Paris Match news magazine, has made contact with a Fedayeen unit near Baghdad and somehow earned their trust. The magazine claims that she was there to investigate why these rebels continued to fight against the US forces in Iraq, 
but what she witnesses is something truly shocking. Three cars are at their disposal, she writes. They start off in a column. We don't know where they're taking us. They stop in a cloud of dust some kilometres further on to recover a ground-to-air missile, SAM-7, wrapped in a white fabric and hidden in a thicket at the edge of a dirt track. We now know that the weapon was actually a Russian Strela III known to NATO as an SA-14 Gremlin. It's an all-aspect, man-portable, shoulder-fired air defence missile and a much-improved version of the earlier SA-7 Grail. It has a nitrogen-cooled lead sulphide, infrared homing seeker head more sensitive and capable than its predecessor. About one and a half metres long, it can comfortably fit in a golf bag and would make an impressive driver. When fired, it can accelerate to over 900 miles an hour. That's around Mach 1.75, climb to an altitude of over 7,500 feet and is armed with a blast fragmentation warhead that weighs over a kilo. That's about 2.2 pounds. The missile has a proximity and contact fuse, which detonates the warhead when it comes close to or strikes its target. When ignited, the warhead explodes, creating damage in two ways. The shock wave generated causes targets with large volume to explode from the internal pressure changes. Approximately 30% of the energy released by the explosive is used to break up the casing, and impart kinetic energy to the fragments. The flying debris expands into a ball of shrapnel, which can slice through the thin skin of an aircraft like the cut of a thousand knives. At Baghdad Airport, an Airbus A300, registration Oscar Oscar Delta Lima Lima, was being operated by the Belgium company European Air Transport, on behalf of DHL, and was starting a scheduled flight to Bahrain. The aircraft was far from new. It began life with Malaysia Airlines in 1975, and was then taken on by Carnival in 95, part of the Cruise Lines company, before joining EAT as a cargo carrier. It was only holding about seven tons of cargo, having delivered mail and other essentials to American troops based in Baghdad. There were only the crew on board. Two Belgian pilots, Captain Eric Genotti and First Officer Steve Mickelson, plus a British flight engineer, Mario Raphael, who hailed from Scotland. The captain was 38, and had a good amount of experience with over 3,000 hours, about half on the A300. The crew prepared their aircraft and briefed the departure, which included a special takeoff procedure to reduce the time they would spend on the ground and during the initial climb when they would be exposed to any threats. They were going to take off without any flaps, only using the slats, with maximum thrust, toga, and at the speed which would give them the best angle of climb, 215 knots. The Australian air traffic personnel working at Baghdad cleared the aircraft for takeoff, and soon it was approaching 8,000 feet on its way to 10,000 feet, where it should be safe from attack. 
The French journalist continued her story. The head of the commandos tells us that one day prior he had spotted a DHL airbus which was flying at low level. I've never, we've never fire on the civilian aircraft, but at that time I did not know what DHL was doing. Afterwards, when a friend of mine explained that these aircraft transported GI's mail, I regretted a little my intentions. That would mean depriving the soldiers of the letters from their mothers and wives. But the next time, I fire. The sun rises and draws red shades upon the men, who have just begun to take up their weapons and prepare for the operation. A peasant passes, his shovel on his back. He understands what is under way and simply says, God blesses you and supports your action, before moving away quietly towards his field of tomatoes. Suddenly the leader pricks up his ears and scans the sky, leaps up and shouts, A plane! You there! At the ready! This time you'll have to fire! The nitrogen bottle in the launcher's body has cooled the infrared seeker as the A300 climbs. Eventually it becomes operational and acquires the heat source, the General Electric CF6 engines. It's relatively simple to operate. All the user has to do is visually acquire the target, activate the automatic target lock and launch the missile by pulling a trigger. The seeker head howls, the head of the commando screams, FIRE! The starting booster runs for about half a second and the missile leaps away from the launcher. Then the propellant charge takes over and it spirals upwards in a stabilising spin as it rockets towards the A300. A second missile is fired and at 9.18 in the morning the first missile hits the target's left wing. The second misses, but regardless, the leader jumps for joy like a child and lifts up his hands to the sky. Allahu Akbar! Allahu Akbar! Passing 8,000 feet on the climb-out, Captain Ginotti was nearly safe. The missile had a theoretical maximum engagement altitude of 7,500 feet, but belting upwards at nearly 1,500 feet a second, it has overtaken the aircraft. Passing the A300's left wingtip, the warhead explodes. The shrapnel from the fragmenting cover spreads out and slices through the outer portion of the wing's trailing edge, cutting into fuel tanks, pipes and electrical connections. Precious fluid sprays through broken hydraulic lines at 3,000 psi and aviation fuel starts to gush and then the shock wave from the blast hits the aircraft. The aircraft shakes and almost immediately Mario, the engineer, spots the pressure in two of the hydraulic systems falling he announces a double hydraulic system failure as the green, the primary system, and the yellow circuits empty their fluid through the ruptured lines. A double hydraulic system failure is about as serious as it gets since it leaves the aircraft with only one system left. 
and should that fail, then none of the primary flight controls will operate. The aircraft would be as controllable as a leaf falling from a tree. Twenty seconds later, Captain Ginotti feels the flight controls stiffen as the third and final hydraulic system, the lifeblood of the Airbus, fails. As if that were not serious enough, aviation fuel from the hold fuel tank has ignited and now his aircraft is on fire with flames streaming from his shattered left wing. With no hydraulics, his ailerons, rudder and elevators are floating, unpowered. He's unable to move them. His trimmable horizontal stabilator and spoilers are frozen, along with his flaps and slats, which are retracted. The aircraft was like a piece of paper in the air, Mario the flight engineer explained. We went through a series of steep banks and dives. You couldn't leave your seat. The crew assessed their situation whilst being thrown against their harnesses. They had no flight controls. Part of their left wing was missing and more coming away as the fire took hold. And they were losing fuel at an alarming rate. About the only things left working were the two engines. In the history of civil aviation, only two aircraft have been in a similar situation the Sioux City DC-10 and a JAL 747. Both aircraft became uncontrollable after all their hydraulic systems failed. Despite a heroic effort by Captain Al Haynes and his crew, the DC-10 crashed at Sioux City Airport, killing 112. After a terrifying 44 minutes of uncontrolled flight, the JAL 747 impacted the side of a mountain, killing an appalling 520 passengers and crew. The odds for the Airbus crew were not good, but as Mario Raphael said, the rules have gone out of the window. Situations like this are unique every time. You cannot train for them. You cannot write a checklist for them. During the learning process, their airspeed lurches wildly between 180 and 300 knots. The crew have since listened to the cockpit voice recorder tape and say they're quite surprised at how calm they all sound. Mario commented, All you can do is apply common sense and stay calm. We were the right combination of crew. The only control left to the pilots was the natural stability of the aircraft, and the engines. Being mounted in pods under the wing and below the centre of gravity, an increase in thrust would cause the aircraft to pitch up a little. The opposite would occur should the power be reduced. However, this isn't as simple as it sounds. Although the crew could make general changes to the attitude of the aircraft without fine control, it would naturally oscillate up and down in a fugoid. To try to turn the aircraft, they needed to use asymmetric power, increasing the thrust on one engine and not the other, which would cause the aircraft to yaw. This yawing action would increase the lift on the advancing wing and decrease it on the retreating wing, which would then cause the aircraft to roll, allowing them to crudely turn. Again, this wasn't as easy as it might appear, since they were missing a portion of the left wing, and with a massive fuel leak, 
The weight in that wing was reducing all the time, making the aircraft want to continually turn to the right. It takes some time to establish how to control their aircraft, and then the crew tried to steer in a big loop back towards Baghdad airfield, all the while their wing was burning with 50 feet of flame streaming back from the fuel tank, which might explode at any moment. It becomes obvious that they can't get their speed low enough to land and still keep control of the aircraft, so Raphael uses the emergency system to lower the landing gear, which, despite being well above the maximum speed, works perfectly. The aircraft had been trimmed to 215 knots when the stabilator froze, and with the speed back in that regime, it becomes easier to control. But despite this, Captain Giannotti has trouble lining up for an approach, and they turn away to reposition. Raphael is working hard to ensure that, despite the leak, fuel is continuously fed to the left engine, but not to the fire. Should he make a mistake and accidentally cut fuel to the engine, all would be lost. They get a decent distance from the runway and then have a second go from a long straight-in approach. It's looking better, and despite 20 knots of turbulent wind from 290 degrees giving them an uncomfortable crosswind, they're lined up to land on runway 33 left. Without flaps or slats, they're fast, around 210 knots, and Ginotti knows that at that speed, without spoilers to keep them down, a bounce on touchdown could be fatal. With just the thrust levers, they fly the aircraft down to the flare. They're coping with the fugoid, the asymmetry in weight, and the crosswind well. At about 400 feet, though, they meet the rough air that is common around hot airfields and the wing dips. The aircraft starts to veer off course. Having battled the crippled Airbus for 25 minutes, Ginotti needs one more effort, and he adds power and rights it again, and they touch down as gently as a feather. But with no spoilers, brakes, rudder or steering, they can't keep on the runway and slide off the side. Engaging full thrust reverse, they plough across the sand and disappear into a huge cloud of red dust kicked up by the reversers. In the cockpit, they're bouncing along the rough ground. Several tyres fail and one jolt reaches seven and a half Gs. Watchers assume the worst. But as the dust settles, they see that the aircraft is intact and stopped a mere 3,300 feet after landing. An almost unbelievable story of a remarkable aircraft and crew. Captain Eric Genotti, First Officer Steve Mickelson and Flying Engineer Mario Raphael were rightly honoured and given awards from around the globe. These included the Hugh Gordon Burge Memorial Award from the Guild of Air Pilots, given to flight crew whose outstanding behaviour and action contributed to the saving of their aircraft and only awarded for events of significant merit. 
and the Flight Safety Foundation's Professionalism Award. In Flight Safety, which was presented to the crew members for their extraordinary piloting skills in flying their aircraft. And what of their amazing A300? Well, it was promptly repaired and put up for sale. Sadly, there were no takers, and it remains at Baghdad, a sad memorial to a brilliant crew. Another wonderful plain tale by the old pilot. Now, I have to mention, because I didn't mention it before when we were talking about the Plain Talking UK 300 episode celebration, and you mentioned it at the beginning of this plain tale that you did this originally at that celebration. Nick did it live. So you uh, had some, um, some pictures going on on the big screen in the background, but... Uh, all of what you just heard was uh, Nick doing it in live, and he didn't flub up anything. I mean, he didn't <laughs> yeah, have to stop. No outtakes or anything. It was pretty. Yeah, for anyone who's listened to the Christmas uh, plane tales, I sometimes put out with the you know, years worth of outtakes. You'll realize how hard it is to get a complete story out in one go. It never happens, but uh, um, yeah, I managed to do it for the for the PTUK. So that was kind of good fun having one live there uh, while we were there. But uh, I, I think we should do it live on every show now, <laughs> from now on. <laughs> I liked it actually when you did it live. So yeah, I vote for that too. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. See, it would save you so much time. It would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Well, it was a magnificent I, job. I, I, you see, in order to do a live one, it's like a, a lecture when you're working f uh, with a lot of notes. You've got to read through them so many times until it's fresh in your head that it would actually take me more time to do that than it would to uh, record one. So anything you want to add or say about uh, that particular story? Um, I, I think it's uh, an amazing story, an amazing job done by that flight crew and so sad that that airplane is still still yeah, sitting there isn't it yeah that's right well as of i think 2011 that was the most recent photograph i found of it uh, sitting there someone's robbed the engines from it the airframe sitting there all covered in red dust i don't think it's ever going to go anywhere so that's a bit sad now i i think that because the it was just the crew on board there were no passengers uh, it wasn't given nearly the same level of um, publicity than uh, had it been an aircraft full of passengers and they'd all been saved. Um, fact was, from us, from us our pilots' point of view, uh, what they did was uh, unbelievably hard and they did a fantastic job. Uh, I mean, they had uh, about a 15-knot crosswind uh, component when they touched down trying to control that airplane and with all the problems that were going on around them um, and, and put it on the runway, I think it's just a brilliant piece of piloting. Absolutely. Wow. Good stuff. Oh, I also forgot to mention earlier that the beverages here in the Anderson studios uh, are provided today by, or at least the first two, <laughs> by Carlos Stebbings. Uh, host of the PTUK. Thank you very um, much, Carlos. It was really good. The uh, Adams Southwold Ghost Ship Citrus Pale Ale. Very, and I was nice. drinking the Hobgoblin, and someone was commenting that 
They've changed, Hobgoblin have changed their labels. They don't look so attractive nowadays, but that's just one of our listeners' opinions. Now, this this uh, Citra Pale Ale uh, has Citra hops, which have a very, as you can imagine, a, a very tropical kind of hop flavor. Uh, Nick loves that hopical. Uh, <laughs> hopical? Tropical hop flavor. And then uh, I just selected another one that your son gave you some yeah, uh, beers. Yeah, uh, Christmas? a Christmas present, that was. Uh, baby baby-faced assassin uh but it is an india pale ale as well from uh roosters brewing company since 1993 and it is entirely uh 100 citra hops so it's a very tasty ale thank you if you'd like alco pop yeah well everybody has everybody <laughs> has taste some lower than others i like manly beer um, i don't like beer there you go actually that's not true anymore I know. Yeah, we're slowly educating you, aren't we, Dana? You are. I'm, I'm, I do not like IPAs and that, but I do like uh, wit beers, and I do like mm-hmm. um, porters and stouts. Yeah, me so, too. I like it all. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's uh, continue with our feedback. Um, item number seven from Dave. He says, hello, all. First off, let me say how much I love your podcast. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm just waiting for him to say it. (laughs) I don't hear him. He just did. Oh, okay. I look forward to it every week. My question is this. I love the old pilot's plane tales uh, and would like to, um, I I do too, and would like to share them with my mom. She, however, isn't into the podcast thing. Is there a way to purchase a CD of multiple stories on it? If not, maybe an idea for those that are not into podcasts yet. I look forward to your next podcast and any info that you may have on my question. Thanks. And again, that's from Dave. And uh, he gave us some some information uh, to uh, get back in touch with him. And I believe, have you yet or, or are you going to tell him now what you what your plan is here or what your idea is? I don't really have a plan okay. but um, uh, the the idea of putting them out in CDs uh, fills me with dread because of the amount of work it would take really uh, not just putting them on the CD they're relatively simple but mass producing them uh, more importantly as Jeff knows from his efforts uh, producing uh, mugs and t-shirts in the past uh, it's really uh, collating uh, all the uh, people want who want them addressing packaging um charging the right money uh going overseas you shipping know. oh it's just yeah exactly it's a mess. it just becomes a nightmare uh, and i sadly i just don't have time for that um and uh, qu- quite honestly the simplest way to uh, present these as a package to your mom is just go to our website you can download each um plain tale individually you could burn it onto a cd yourself and then give that to her or alternatively um drag and drop them onto a an sd card and uh, you can get plenty of uh, little um loudspeaker systems or like a usb stick or something yeah yeah or a usb stick yeah Yeah. uh you plenty of loudspeaker systems that will you can just plug a usb stick straight into or put an sd card straight into and then just press play and off they go so um it's i i would recommend the do-it-yourself route uh it'll be cheaper for you and it'll be a lot simpler for me yes i agree so hopefully that helps Dale, dave um 
I'm not sure what name I just said before I said Dave, but... Oh, and by the way, the money that you would have spent on buying a CD, uh, you could always consider putting that into uh, the coffee bar fund because that would help us anyway. Or you could buy your mom some uh, flowers or uh, buy yourself some beer. Yes, uh, do all three. Or all, all three. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or buy uh, Dana some cough drops. Yeah, exactly right. She needs them right now. But, but <laughs> no, that was good. You caught that really rapidly. I mean, very quickly. I've, uh, beca- I've, I've gotten a lot better in my old age and my experience <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm reacting a lot better these days. Um, you know, they uh, that uh, rolls... Um, switch that you're using for cutting your, yourself out they also make a a floor switch um, model where you can actually you know like just tap it with your foot if you want i was listening to another podcast and uh, i was reminded that rolls makes uh, a foot activated uh, switch for coughing uh uh-huh. i don't know just thought i'd throw that out there uh let's see item eight uh this is from jack jack english do you think jack is english <laughs> could be could be but he might not it might be just oh wait 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 look the first he is uh, good right. day apg crew from hertfordshire in the uk did i say that hertfordshire right? dang it i thought for sure i'd get that right hertfordshire in the uk my name is jack i'm 19 years old and in march this year i will be commencing training to become a commercial pilot through an ab initio program uh, a few months ago i passed my initial class one medical good job well yeah. done But during my eye examination, the optometrist raised a point that I would like your opinions on. As I wear glasses, the optometrist told me that I may may want to look into finding a suitable headset in advance of my training because she has been told by previous pilots she has examined that the force of a standard headset pushing glasses into the side of your head over a long period of time can become very uncomfortable. So, I'd like to know whether this ever affected you guys, especially with Captain Nick having to wear a headset for the duration of a long flight. Well, that's not true. Um, are true. contact lenses a viable option, or would they dry out your eyes? Any thoughts on this or solutions? I would love to hear. Or even if you have never experienced this before, and I think I have nothing to worry about. Uh, that is all a myth. Uh, I began listening around July 2019. I love the show. I suffer with the syndrome. Oh. Sorry to hear that. Mm. We're still actively working. You still on, got your class one medical, or did you just not dis- declare the syndrome when? Maybe you, they didn't ask the proper psychological questions. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Every episode makes me more excited to begin my training. That's good. Good to hear. I hope all the crew and community have had a great start to their year. We have all the best, Jack English. Okay, so just quickly before you answer, uh, Nick, because I know you have some uh, good answers for this one. Um, just to put out there, um, the a myth is that long-haul pilots wear their headsets for the entire 12- or 15-hour flight. And, and you're not required to do that, right? Well, I think I think you need to on, on a noisy airplane like a Boeing. But uh, the Airbus is just so quiet. Oh, so, so sorry <laughs> I, I let you answer that. Let's see. Well, let me find your uh, microphone slider. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, too my, bad. My well, mic stopped, Jeff. <laughs> okay, I'll put it back on. <laughs> I was only joking. I was only joking. Uh, once you're above uh, 20,000 feet um, on our Airbuses, because uh, we had loudspeakers and the cockpit's loving quiet, you could take off your headsets. You didn't need to wear them anymore. Uh, and in fact, uh, some people, um, yeah, that's all I'll say. 
Um, uh, so you didn't have to really endure it for long, uh, you know, the first uh, hour and the last hour probably. Um, so, uh, but if it is a problem, uh, first of all, I'd wait and see what kind of a headset you are going to end up with, uh, whether you buy your own or whether you uh, get one issued by your company, etc. Um, I know that there are over-the-ear or in-the-ear versions. So an in-the-ear version would probably operate uh, without any problem at all since it's not affecting the place on your head where your, uh, your spectacle arms go. Uh, I know that uh, military flying helmets press a lot more than uh, civil um, earphones. So, uh, and our pilots uh, who wore glasses cope with that no problem. I don't think it was ideal, but uh, certainly bearable. Uh, certainly, if you've got a pair of those kind of more modern, thick, black, plastic uh, frames, that's going to be worse. I personally have uh, very thin wire frames. So I would recommend glasses made by someone like uh, Lindstrom or uh, what's the other one? Uh, I'm thinking it has really whippy frames. Anyway, you go to any uh, a decent optometrist and they'll have thin wire frames so which you can uh, go for as an option. Um, or, or just trying out various headsets uh, with your glasses and uh, just see which ones suit you and which ones don't. Uh, of course, it also depends on which aircraft type you're going to fly as to how noisy they are and how uh, good the uh, headsets need to be. So I made it all the way through my career without any problems whatsoever. But I don't know about you. You've got the, I, I, you could, the glasses I'm wearing right now are basically the glasses that I'm I mean, they're the same glasses I wear in the airplane. Yeah. They don't have super thick, uh, whatever you call these things. that The arms? The arms or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, and I wear the uh, the Bose A20 headset. That's an over-ear headset that, that presses on these things. And I've never really had an issue with a pain or a, a discomfort or whatever uh, with them. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, honestly, I think it's the last thing on your feedback Um Never experienced this before, and I think you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> now, I guess, again, it's just dependent upon the type of headset, the pressure that it's putting around your ear, and um, uh, the airplane that you're flying. Yeah, go to a pilot shop and try out a few heads. If, if you end up in a situation where you have to buy your own, I wouldn't preempt this. I'd get involved in it and see what they suggest or advise when you start uh, flying. Uh, training uh, or just think ahead to your company and what company am I going to work in and how what, how do they approach this and take some advice from pilots who've uh, in that particular aircraft because every aircraft's different and if, so a lot of companies uh, require you to be on intercom and uh, some don't so you might end up in a good situation when it comes to contacts by the way I know plenty of uh, cabin crew who fly with contacts uh, not many pilots um, the dry atmosphere in an aircraft not ideal for uh, contacts, particularly for long haul. Uh, they will dry out. Uh, if you're short haul, you probably get away with it a lot easier and wouldn't have to wear your glasses, though. But it depends how much correction your eyes need, whether you need verifocal or not. Uh, contacts don't give you quite the same acuity as glasses in some situations. So, uh, you know, just have a think about that. I know that, Dana, uh, you don't wear uh, glasses at all. Well, you, nope. I guess you probably do sun, wear sunglasses, though. At times, I do right? wear sunglasses. Okay. So, in a way, that you do some, you do encounter that 
uh, problem at times or potentially. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on the clamping force of the headset. So Nick alluded to it earlier that the headsets uh, that he used to wear, the clamping force was uh, pretty significant. When I used to wear David Clark's, which are, you know, the big, big, uh, bigger uh, pieces with the heavy headband, um, when I was flying general aviation, those would pose uh, some some challenges uh, as, as far as the pressure that puts on your temple with with the uh, sunglasses would go through. Uh, right now, currently, I wear um, a Sennheiser, which I'm very upset by the way. Sennheiser, if you're listening, uh, they've done away with their aviation division with their headsets. Oh, so no. really, le- yeah, they that was about a year and a half ago. Yeah, I think a lot now. of people wear those. Yeah, and I l- absolutely love the the headset. Um, but they're very the, much uh, like a tel- telex flat. I was going to say, a lot of people use those telex, uh, very lightweight telex. Very, exactly, and they just sit on the ears. And, and then Sennheisers are very much like that, but I've got the A&R, active noise reduction Sennheisers, which are fantastic. Um, so there's really no issue there whatsoever with those. But if you have an over-the-ear uh, type of ear cup, then even the David Clark Pro Flight, which I did try uh, from a friend of mine for a, a trip, uh, those presented an issue, and you know, the, <clears throat> a lot of it is is if you're using intercom and not using intercom. And that's the only reason why. And you were talking about the other headset, the the Pro Flight Two. That is the only reason why I return that headset. It doesn't have individual volume control. So with it not having individual volume control, uh, you know, right now you see me on air, and I actually own the almost the exact same pair. Uh, in-ear headsets that I use on the show all the time. Uh, The only problem is that I, you know, in flight, they're very good at knocking down the noise. Uh, They're very comfortable. They don't interfere with your ability to wear glasses at all. The only problem is, is that with it not having dual volume control, is that I'm hearing a radio call, active noise reduction, and then the first officer trying to talk to me, I can't hear the first officer. So the only way that I can hear the first officer is pulling the airpiece out, which kind of, well, not kind of, it completely um, negates the whole reason why you have the active noise reduction earpiece headset. So, um, but for wearing glasses, by far the best headset out there, I think, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, for comfort level, for being able to, you know, wear any type of corrective vision. Um, again, in the acoustics on that headset and no- noise reduction on that headset is amazing. So in a very noisy environment, you wouldn't have an issue. Uh, it just depends on whether you're using intercom or not. Now, I think uh, not being able to hear the first officer is actually a feature, not. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is, except when they say uh, you slats, it up in trouble. Flap it, flaps, <laughs> landing gear down. What did you say? <laughs> I, I just look around and, and just nod my head and smile. There have been some good suggestions from the chat room, including uh, Pince-Nez, those uh, French dial glasses that just clamp onto uh, your, your bridge of your nose, uh, a la Matrix, I think, uh, Who's the guy? The uh, yeah, that wore a pair of those. Can't remember now. Um, and uh, a pair of monocles. Uh, yeah, two monocles. That might be uh, yeah, really that's a good idea. That'd be a good talking point. Thank you, uh, Neil. Anything else? It's a great I, idea. I, th- I think the pinch nezes and the monocles might be a little difficult in turbulence, but just that's just my two cents. Oh, you you tie them onto a little uh, piece of uh, cotton, don't you? So if they fall off, you can just put them back in again. <laughs> and 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 who's really keeping their eyes open during a uh, extensive turbulence anyway? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I'm usually I'm, fast asleep. I have, or yeah, or or just eyes closed because you're just terrified. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably plunging from uh, in terror because exactly. you're plunging down from thirty five thousand feet. Yep. Um, ah, there he is. What happened there? I have absolutely no idea. It just well, went. Glad you're back. Boom, gone. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Back. I didn't even touch anything. I didn't ah. even move the mouse. Oh, by the way, the other style of frame I was going to suggest was silhouettes. They're oh, a yeah, very, yeah. very slim frame. So uh, I have a set of those, and uh, they're very uh, bendy, yeah. flexible. Uh, yep. but they're very expensive, though. Well, yeah, and these these Lindstrom ones, I've got are even more expensive. But uh, yeah, you know, there there is a more expensive. I'm not not so sure that the Air Force, or the military, would accept it. But of course, there is the ability to have laser eye uh, vision correction. Yeah, then you don't have to worry about wearing glasses. That, Not that I, I have never actually true. had that. Yeah. I mean, you you put the uh, your entire flying career into the hands of a unless they screw it up, then yeah, with a person with a laser, and you have to look at the number of failures there are, uh, and think, well, if I'm one of the say, I don't know what it is, ninety eight percent success, yeah, uh, but if I'm one rate. of the two people uh, who get their eyesight wrecked or whatever. <laughs> there goes your career. Yeah, my, in Miami, I've asked him that question because, you know, as I get a little older, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, versus wearing glasses doing that. And he said, yeah, not worth the risk. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just, you know, I just had to throw it out there. No, yeah, no, that's it's true. Good, good that, idea. Is, that is definitely something that a lot of pilots do, actually. Mm. All right. Uh, oh, by the way, um, Jack's, you know, mentioning that he's 19. We met a young, a very young person at the uh, PTUK. 300 episode his name is sam and uh, he was there was his dad and I'm, I'm assuming he was about that age yeah he, he certainly looked uh looked very young his dad looked young <laughs> <laughs> that's how young well, Jeff, sam everyone is. looks young well everybody you. looks young yeah. to me yeah, shut up um so anyway <laughs> I, mean, I look young a, a sh- you. no you don't <laughs> A shout out to Sam if you're listening. Um, great uh, meeting you, and I told him to please make sure that he keeps us apprised of his progress in uh, his flight training and his goal to become a professional airline pilot. Oh yeah, and of course the same uh, applies to Jack. You're starting off on a on a fantastically exciting career, and we'd love to hear how you get on, Jack. All right, ni- item nine. Uh, Miles uh, poses a question here. Uh, are there a- any considerations how female combat pilots would be treated if shot down in enemy territory? For um, for PC PR purposes, is this subject simply never discussed? And uh, so, what do you what do you think about that? Uh, female pilots that well, not necessarily even pilots, but uh, female combatants. Um, you know, is that uh, something that uh, that we should think about considerations as far as uh, being taken taken as a prisoner. Well, if I was uh, a woman in today's world who wanted to become a combat pilot, and I thought people were going, "Oh no, you can't do that because we just want to protect you," I'd feel very offended. So, uh, I I don't think it's appropriate for us to question the motives uh, of someone who wants to go and fight. And there's no doubt about it that uh, um, combat pilots who uh, are capture prone, and that really applies to anyone who goes over the, you know, the front line and into an enemy country to, uh, uh, to bomb or photo photo recce or whatever job they're doing over there. Um, 
I, I, I don't think it's right to go, well, we can't let you do that. We don't think that's a good idea because you're a female and they might do awful things to you. Uh, I think if you're a female combat pilot and you want to do that or any crew member and you want to do that, you're willing to accept the risk just as a male pilot would. I don't see any difference. I mean, the plane tale I did uh, a couple of plane tales ago about that lovely uh, German chap who got into the United States, became a uh, a combat pilot, got captured in Vietnam. Now, the things he had to endure, and many other of the uh, combat pilots who were captured in Vietnam, are just about as awful a thing you can do to any human being, regardless of your sex. And I don't think we should pander to our male concerns about what will happen to a female pilot in the same situation. It's up to them to decide whether they're happy to be put in that situation. And I think the same uh, level of concern should apply to any pilot that's captured and we want to get them out of captivity, whether it's a male or a female. We try not to leave our uh, servicemen behind, servicewomen behind. We make every effort we can to uh, get them released. Uh, and the same would apply regardless of which sex you are. So I, I, don't, I see this being a, a bit of a non-question. I would hope by now we've moved on to the point where we get concerned about what sex you are, if you're willing to fight for your country, you should be allowed to go fight for your country. Yeah, you just have to assume that these people, whether they're male or female, understand the risks involved and um, go into it with their eyes open. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, you you hit it right on, on the head, Nick, is that it doesn't matter what your orientation is as, as far as whether you're male or female. Um, you are subjected to... Um, torturous torturous uh, conditions if you're if that were to be the case you know you just have to go back in history and look at uh, you know the world wars and then vietnam and korea and all that stuff it didn't doesn't matter it, it's just it's just nastiness from one human being to another human being that uh, there's no respect so um yeah i, I don't i agree with you 100 percent, nick it, it it's an individual choice and and that's uh, that's the end of the story on that one very good case closed Item 10, Kevin. Uh, Kevin St. John sends us this. Uh, Hello, Captains Jeff, Nick, Dana, and Dr. Steph. I was listening to APG 406 this weekend while driving my Tesla and walking around in a T-shirt as the temperature in northeastern Massachusetts. <laughs> Sorry. Like, you know, these, these, these obnoxious people in their Teslas. Yeah, like, like Adam Spink and his brand Adam new Spink, Tesla. Adam uh, Spink, Michael Carroll. Yeah. And uh, down, yeah. Whoa, we're impressed. No, I'm just kidding. We are actually. Um, anyway, I know that Kevin St. John has been uh, driving around Tesla's for quite a number of years. I think he had the original one. Um, anyway, he was walking around in a t-shirt as the temperature in northeastern Massachusetts was a crazy 20C on January 11th and 12th, 68 degrees Fahrenheit. I offer a screenshot. Shot. Let me try that again. I offer a screenshot of my instrument panel with its temperature display as evidence. Oh, we didn't doubt you, Kevin. We didn't doubt you. Captain Dana would be in awe. Cue the wow. Okay. Well, Dana, do a do a live wow. Wow. There we go. As if this, as if he were around his childhood home. However, delivering a weather report wasn't the point of this email. 
Okay. APG 406 had a discussion of energy per kilogram of a lithium-based battery and carbon-based fuels as well as battery performance as it relates to airplanes. I believe my experience giving uh, driving a, a battery-powered automobile for the last four and a half years gives another perspective. First, battery technology is advancing rapidly with different technology being researched and deployed. My four-and-a-half-year-old car's original range of 268 miles is over 100 miles less than models currently being built. That's quite an improvement. Second, while batteries are indeed sensitive to temperature, the battery management system in my car warms and cools the battery to keep it within its best operating range. Third, the battery management system keeps a close eye on the sub-assemblies and controls the charge rate to min uh, minimize battery degra degradation. My car's full charge range is down about 4% from its original 268 miles after having driven 78,000 well, miles. Actually, that's damned impressive. That is it? really impressive. Uh, current battery... Uh, let's see, current battery to keep it within, wait a minute, I'm jumping around. Current battery technology is a lot more advanced than it was given credit on uh, ALG 406. That must be a different show. Yeah, that's the show that really panned those batteries. Oh, I know. Uh, we would well, never. We didn't do it. No, no, that wasn't us. No. That was ALG 406. <laughs> uh, he means our show, of course. Um, therefore, while battery-powered long-haul and even MD-8890 flight lengths are not yet possible i wouldn't be surprised if captain dana was wasn't flying one as he approaches captain jeff's seniority best wishes for <laughs> flight phase appropriate wings wins sorry also hoping that a boston or even portland maine meetup isn't too far into the future respectfully kevin saint john yeah well hopefully we'll get back up that way kevin um yeah uh good made you, you made some very good points um, and battery technology is improving for sure. It's just, I guess we were kind of saying that it's going to take an, an incredible leaps ahead in technology to fly the kind of stuff that Nick was flying before he retired and even what Dana and I are flying at this point. But, um, I'm sure that one day, you know, somehow they'll come up with, with some technology that makes this whole thing fe feasible. I, I think the, isn't the latest, uh, technology, the ga gallium ion batteries or something like that some other kind of material other than lithium is providing even higher um battery um uh, energy uh, i forgot what the term i always forget the term anyway um it, it, it's making the the possibility of of longer haul use uh maybe possible in the in the future and who knows what the it might be some kind of a hybrid kind of situation uh, situation where you're using maybe hydrogen fuel cells and batteries or whatever. I'm, I'm sure there's, there's going to be a point at some time in the future that fossil fuels will finally not uh, be present in transportation at all. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Probably after all humans are extinct. Probably. Yeah. Certainly I'll be extinct by then. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Looks like finally our last item, James writes in and he says this is james who doesn't have a job in the airline industry oh i'm sorry james um or maybe you like it that way i was listening to episode 407 of the show 
which was our last show. And Capitan, Jeff, mentioned how the passenger burned his left egg after. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds nasty. I hate it when I burn my left egg after his backup cell phone battery overheated. Well, that reminds me of a video on YouTube where an ATC makes a flub while talking to a pilot. There is no cursing in the video, so I'll let you hear it and get your reaction. It is audio only, so the audio podcast listeners won't miss a thing. Again, love the show. Okay, so I went ahead and pulled the audio from this YouTube video, and here is the ATC flub. Banana at Banana Bravo, Waiting Okay. I heard it. Do you want to just replay it? Because now people know that she called him a banana. Okay, Tower. I heard it. See, I did too. <laughs> we all did. Uh, you could tell she was laughing, but no, you did not hear that. Yeah, I did not say banana. <laughs> Uh, we were saying uh, before we recorded the show, I would have come back and said, uh, yeah, no, you're mistaken. I didn't say that. So banana 296. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just keep saying banana. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, no, you're mishearing me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's wrong with your ears. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's funny. She was probably looking at the airplane. It's painted yellow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. It's oh. probably a spirit. Yeah. I'm surprised no. they don't have a banana. I don't think I don't think they fly bananas or bananas. <laughs> anyway, but flying on them, no, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Sorry. <laughs> okay, Stop. thank you. Stop. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Um, Liz uh, is mentioning to us that um, that uh, Jack is in the chat room, so he's getting a lot of good advice, as you mentioned, Nick, uh, oh, from yeah. the chat room folks. Uh, some links to the company that makes these. Glasses that he's wearing okay, right now, yep. and other. Uh, oh, oh, neat! Oh. We have something happening here at the uh, Anderson Studio. <laughs> it's a good job we're winding up. Isn't yes, it? Alexa is like uh, telling us that somebody is approaching his front door, and I think that soon we're going to hear the dogs, the dogs barking mad. and everything else. But that's he was concerned about that, and I said, Nick, don't worry about it. It's go. part of the ambiance <laughs> of doing this show. It's obviously not a soundproof uh, studio, but <laughs> we do have the door open even, so I don't care. Yeah. Anyway, actually, well, that wasn't bad. Just no. a couple little barks. <laughs> yeah. It was just saying hello. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, they yeah. treat every burger like that. Are you sure it wasn't so bad? <laughs> <laughs> She's just excited to see mommy, mama, or whatever. What do you call her? Mom, mama, mommy. I call her my wife. Well, I mean, what, <laughs> what, that, that's probably appropriate. Yeah. yeah. And what did they call her? Uh, they call her woof, 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 okay. woof, woof. Yeah, I'm just going to drop it. <laughs> okay. With that, it is now time to end the show. And, uh, oh, hey. Oh, hey, Rusty. Rusty. 
Oh, mm, oh thank you. <laughs> My mummy's mm. home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, this is the point of the show where we say, why don't you check out our website? I keep looking around for the camera. Where is it? It's over there. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. Check out our right website, airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, bring it up so I can actually look at all the things that we have there on this wonderful site. It's airlinepilotguy.com, and it's a very good-looking site uh, that was uh, main or is maintained and and uh, put up there by Arush. And um, you can see there are three latest episodes and. Uh, there are lots of stuff you can stuff, lots of stuff you can do. Uh, you can go to the podcast page <laughs> really? and see all the podcasts, uh, our videos. If you're listening to the audio only, if you want to check us out on YouTube, you can just click on APG on YouTube and see all of our shows there uh, as we record the show live. And uh, you can learn uh, about the APG crew, little mini bios of us on there, and uh, we have. Um, the Plain Tales uh, page, where uh, is dedicated to all the individual Plain Tales, and Nick always adds uh, some uh, some photographs and other um, supplementary uh, information to go with these wonderful Plain Tales that he does every week. Um, and you can also there is information on how you can subscribe to the Plain Tales podcast. Uh, we have something called the APG Library that is managed by our uh, librarian, Tiffany. And uh, there you'll see different types of uh, books in, involved with aviation, historical fiction, aviation memoirs and biographies, astronautics, crash and near-miss investigations, military aviation, and other nonfiction. And so you can even, if you have a suggestion for Tiffany, you can email her at uh, Tiffany at airlinepilotguy.com, and then she'll add it to the uh, library. And thank you, Tiffany, for doing that, by the way. Um, information about the coffee fund is there. We also have um, some merchandise via the APG store. If you want to get a T-shirt or some other kind of uh, merch, you can check that out by heading over to that page. And uh, we have a way for you to send us feedback and contact us or contact us page. And also if you want to use SpeakPipe to uh, do a recording. And we always love hearing your voice when we do our feedback. And calendar is the last item on the menu where you can see where we're, we are uh, on our trips and that kind of thing. Uh, where uh, we are going to have meetups and also uh, information about when we know it when we are planning to record the next episode. So you can be with us live, because I think you'll have a lot of fun joining us live. And we're on social media. <laughs> At this point, this is where you sit. Yeah, well, on, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Steph's not here, so... Uh, oh, damn. Yeah. We need to get Dr. Steph to do a recording, so... Yeah, that's then I know it after I'm trying to remember. Let me get these banners here, so... Okay, go. We're on, uh, on uh, Facebook. And you can get us there at uh, the Airline Pilot Guy uh, on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and uh, Instagram with the same handle, I think, at APG Crew. And uh, we're also on a wacky uh, system called Slack. Uh, 
And I think Halal has flown all the way across to come and take up residence in my toilet. I think I think he is in the shower. Wait a minute. Let's. I, I think I hear. I think, I think I hear the shower running. Using all my hot water again. Hello. Hello. It's time. Come over here. What the heck is on this hand towel? Don't worry about it. <laughs> That'll okay. be the dogs. <laughs> that's that's it. All right, uh, come over here. Sit here. Let, let's we'll move away, and you can sit right here. Here's the microphone. Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tale topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airline. Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> the rest of it. I think he drowned. Just, just send Hillel an email at hillel at airlinepilotguy.com or... Uh, slack at airlinepilotguy.com and he'll he'll set you up. And uh, so a lot he's, goes on there, isn't it? And it's a kind of a big chat room for all the listeners. It is, and honestly, uh, especially for the meetups, it seems that that's that's the place the, to find the most information about when we're planning on doing meetups and and uh, information about where the meetups located and, and uh, other such information. Great place. Um, and uh, let's see, I guess that's about it. Um, our our wonderful producer. Uh, we have to give another thank you very much. Uh, shout out to Liz Piper in oh, Toronto. Job. As always, making us uh, look much better than we actually are. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Bye, everybody. Rusty says have, bye. A, have a good one. <laughs> I hope <See> sorry. <laughs> Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall oh, I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I